I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. Warning. The following episode contains subject matter and scenes that some viewers may find upsetting, disturbing, or unnerving. Please note, viewer discretion is advised at all times. Sit back and enjoy. Two former employees describe what they saw when Jackson thought no one was watching. We have a warning for you this morning. What you're about to hear is explicit. Basically molesting the boy, performing oral sex, passionately kissing, both naked, hands groping. None of it's true. It's BS. They made it up. They lie. So don't, don't believe that stupidity. It's not the truth. It's garbage. He told me if they ever found out what we were doing, he and I would go to jail. And I know my brother, I know he's nothing like that. That's not Michael Jackson. I know him. He would never, ever do that to any kid or anyone. To my utter astonishment, I discovered that children were still sleeping over, sometimes in his house, sometimes in his bedroom. There was one night I stood in the yard and asked him if I could stay in the bedroom. And he let me stay in the bedroom. And I was like, Michael, you can stay, sleep on the bed. And he was like, no, 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 you sleep on the bed, sleep on the bed. We were like, no, no, no. And then he finally said, okay, if you love me, you sleep on the bed. But it was fun that night. Jackson was found not guilty. Over the years, Robson consistently defended and praised Jackson in multiple interviews and public appearances. Over 20 years, talking about how Michael helped his, his life, how he was a great person to him, and he was his mentor. What would you like to happen to you? I would like to live forever. Yes, sir, I need, to, uh, I need an ambulance as soon as possible, sir. We have a, a gentleman here that needs help, and he's not breathing, and we need to, we're trying to pump him, but he's not, he's Okay, not okay, how old is he? He's uh, 50 years old, sir. 50, okay. He's unconscious, he's not breathing? Yes, he's not breathing, sir. My greatest inspiration comes from kids. Every song I write, every dance I do, all the poetry I write, is all inspired from that level of innocence, that consciousness of purity. And children have that. I see God in the face of children. Man, uh, I just love being around that, that all the time. Welcome back to another, the final, I Could Murder a podcast of the series. I'm Tom Norris, I'm joined once again by Benny Carter. Tom, let's end the series on a, uh, a high note and a sweet note. We've got a cake. We do have a cake indeed, Look at Ben. That. Look at that, that's amazing. Wow. Yes, one of our lovely listeners, Emily from Emily Bakes on Instagram, sent us this delicious cake. And we're having a wrap party after this, so we're going to be digging into this. It's got you know, our stickers on there, it's got some a lovely book, a candle... We don't know what flavour it is yet, so we're going to dig into it. And the blood genuinely looks... It scared me. Yeah, it's a spooky cake. Mm. But we're going to have a spooky slice. Now, as you can see on the top there, she's got us in Boston Sound, 
season four. What a, what better way to end a series? Yeah. Thank That's, you so much, Emily. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much, Emily. It is very much appreciated. We can't wait to dig in and dig into this case. Yes, guys, it is the series finale and it is a very interesting case. I don't think we've even had this case requested. Mm. It's a very interesting case. And yeah, I don't think people would have predicted that we we're going to go with this one. No, absolutely not. And, and people are joining us for the very first time. I imagine there'll be a fair few um, from this particular case. It's a bit different to the norm in terms of what we usually cover. So, you know, welcome, take a seat. It's an intriguing case in the... There are obviously, with every case, two sides to every story, and this story is still ongoing to an extent. So it's a bit different to the norm. Uh, typically, obviously, we're covering serial killers, mass murderers, but this has been one that at the same time we both, and producer Dan, have all wanted to kind of cover for, for a, a quite a while now. So excited to get into it. It's a big, big case. It's one that many of the other podcasts we've looked at have kind of got four, five, six hour episodes on we're trying to condense where we can yeah i want to say a big shout out to uh, phil and again for this animation is probably mm. possibly as his i know it's his favorite from the from the whole series and it's it is bloody brilliant so thank you phil for the whole series you've absolutely smashed it and a big shout out to danny for the, the additional research and the writing yeah and a massive thank you to everyone that's been involved in the podcast for this series we started back in july it's now november which is just a scary thought in itself but all the amazing voice artists that have been involved we really appreciate it producer Dan we really appreciate it Mr Editor Ben Bonsi we really appreciate it of course Phil with all his excellent work uh, in the old animation speaking of which if you follow us on at Good Murderer Pod Twitter and Instagram you can look at these animations these wonderful animations we are discussing we, we post them every week in our episode announcements Phil is very very good so uh, yeah massive thank you there if you guys are looking to support the pod why not head over to our merch store at icmap.store where we've got lots of lovely stuff at bits and bobs nicky knacks nicky knackers lots of stuff in there and we are getting new things added very soon i know i keep saying that but we are getting very very close and although uh, as we mentioned this is the series finale of series four um, we are still going to be very very active in our little break while we're preparing for series five over on our patreon page which is patreon.com forward slash could murder a pod we've got 44 episodes up there at the time of recording and um, we upload every single week video and audio episodes and uh, we also do case requests we do a nice little poll vote and uh, poll vote poll vault <laughs> do you know how the structures of jokes work <laughs> not just because that sound sometimes like they land all right as do the pole vault ones because um, the mat yeah all the episodes on Patreon are available in, in audio as well as video and we are going to be looking to kind of knock things up to the next level soon uh, and we're looking to do more than four a month is the plan so lots of new ideas kind of bubbling away there so be sure to check that out so this week is the case of Michael Jackson accusations of an icon <laughs> come on huh come on Dan excellent work from producer Dan there I'm hoping there's going to be lots more of those little surprises. A uh, little bit of a peek behind the curtain and uh, trivia of, of I Could Murder a Podcast. Y- you guys have actually done a little Michael Jackson cover between yourselves, didn't you? Oh, we have. We did. A long, long time ago. Lipping, heck, I can yes. still remember. Let's not get that. What song was it? What's it called? Will You Be... Will You Be There? There you go. And producer Dan is in the band, so a little shout out to Oscar Corney, an excellent musician. Check him out. We'll put a little little thing up there. So you go check yeah. him out on Spotify. Yeah. Very, very good. Go and see producer Dan in the flesh. <laughs> Pure coincidence that this case came up in our Halloween episode last week, the Richard Chase case. 
um, about my Halloween costume in the car, which still is in the car, and a shoebox. Uh, it wasn't Converse, though, I checked. It was a little ASOS box. A little ASOS little box. little ASOS box. And we we very much discovered that you did have the outfit after he was accused of these things. What, um, yes, we did. Well, no, well, this you, there was the 93 one, which we're going to go on to discuss, but the real ones that, that really... Oh, the real one. I mean the real not ones. Not the real one. Well, Any, every accusation's real in my book, Ben, but... <clears throat> But before we jump into this week's case, we want to say a huge thank you to our friends over at Manscaped for sponsoring this episode. So Tom, the most wonderful time of the year is just around the corner. Christmas is upon us and a lot of people starting their Christmas shopping, getting ready for the Christmas parties. Um, and we've got the perfect thing to get you set up for the perfect night. Yes, Ben, our friends over at Manscaped are offering our audience 20% off and free shipping over at manscaped.com if you use our code ICMAP. So Tom, they've got a range of different products over at Manscaped and one of my favourites is the lawn of a 4.0 check this bad boy out yeah, and that baby is also waterproof so when you're in the shower you can get yourself looking smart on the balls for the Christmas party there you go it also reduces the risk of any kind of nicks or cuts as well as the possibility of ingrown hair so it really has all bases covered for your balls and Ben I've got it on good authority that Santa loves the ball deodorant with his big bulging sack he doesn't want to get that sweaty so he puts this on and he feels fresh all night and Tom look at that it's also anti-chafing so if you're getting down and dirty on the Christmas dance floor it's got you covered if you're going for a Christmas bowl with a gang it's also got you covered and not only are you not going to be chafing you're going to be smelling terrific and another favourite of mine Tom perhaps even a little stocking filler the Crop Reviver Ball Toner have a smell of this you say stock and fill it, and I say cock chiller. That's going to make your mm. ball smell handsome. I'm reminded of the film The Grinch, Tom, uh, when they shave him. Uh, there's nicks and cuts all over the place. Bandages. It wasn't a pretty sight, and that's the last thing you want under your chimney this Christmas. Yeah, be Saint Nicholas and get less nicks with manscaped.com. So, guys, if you want to support the pod, why not head over to manscaped.com and use our code ICMAP for 20% off and also free shipping. You're going to smell and look terrific, and your partner's going to thank you. Jingle all the way, balls. Jingle all the way. Balls. Balls. So we're going to do a little quick disclaimer for this week's case. Now, obviously, we're very aware this is going to be a very divisive episode. We're also very aware that there are going to be opinions, passionate opinions, on both sides of the fence. We are very aware that Michael Jackson is no longer here to defend himself. Uh, we find that the concept of this case and the numerous allegations surrounding it, basically, we found that part absolutely fascinating. And that's why we wanted to cover uh, the case itself. There's no other case quite like it. Our intentions for this episode, though, it could easily be, as I said, a four or five hour or four or five parter episode are to lay out as much of the key evidence uh, pointing to innocence and pointing to guilt as possible to kind of remain impartial for the bulk of the episode and then we're going to go and talk on our opinions towards the end both myself tom and producer dan rather than present it with any kind of bias we're going to just try and lay the facts out as, as they are but we are very aware it's a huge huge case with huge amounts of information surrounding it and uh you know we hope you can appreciate our brevity uh, with yeah this one. Well, essentially we're, we're going, we've got all these ingredients for this pie here some of them are you know negative some of them are positive and we're going to make this pie and you can decide just if this pie is guilty for molesting children so, yeah, we're going to do that. That's the, that's the idea. So, Tom, I guess you could say that this week's case is going to be dangerous. <laughs> we're going to try and lay things out in black and white. <laughs> you are not alone. <laughs> what do you want? Oh, that one again. Does it make any sense, does it? Ben. Is it a song called Ben? Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> you are not alone. What's the new one? Alone for? You yeah, no, I know it's a song, but we're not alone. Ben's here. Ben. Oh. Yeah! He's here. We'll be covering the case with you. 
Hopefully it's not bad. Be covering the case with you. Which song's that? It's, it's, there's, there's songs planted in oh, the past. Okay. He's well, fun to have a smooth uh, criminal or not. Uh, I mean, if he is a smooth criminal. He's trying to beat it. Yeah. We can't just blame it on the boogie. Woo. Earth song. Yeah. You smell a bit like a dirty Diana tonight. Woo. And you actually wrote them down. So, well, no, I went off track massively when you started at me. Started at you? I don't want to be starting something. <laughs> Give in to me. This episode might actually be a thriller. You already said thriller. Earth song. Michael Joseph Jackson was born on the 29th of August 1958 in Gary, Indiana, which is not too far away from Chicago. His father, Joseph Walter Joe Jackson, uh, was a former boxer and a crane operator at the US Steel Company. Very, very musical factory. So very, very musical family. Well, we'll get that out there nice and early. Uh, his father, Joe, actually uh, played guitar in a local rhythm and blues band called the Falcons. Imagine them soaring up the charts. His mother, Catherine Esther Jackson, also was, was fairly musical. She played the clarinet and piano and actually had aspired to be a country and western singer, though she worked part-time at Sears. So lots of music in the family from the off. Large family as well. So Michael uh, was actually the eighth of ten children, making up the Jackson family. He was not alone. <laughs> and they were very much considered a working class family. They actually lived, Tom. Guess the name of the street. They Jackson. Uh, Jackson Street, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, but it, wasn't, it was named after the former president, not, not his own family. I thought while doing the research, did they name that after you know he became famous and whatnot? Yeah, you couldn't but make no. it up, could you? He could, but um, the road was named after the former president, not his family. Oh. And it is now one of the most poorest, most violent cities in the Midwest, with one third of the city's houses abandoned or vacant. So as Ben said, he grew up in a household full of brothers and sisters. Those are sisters, Rebby, Latoya and Janet, and brothers Jackie, Tito, Jermaine, Marlon and Randy. And those are six brothers, Marlon's twin, Brandon, but he died shortly after birth. Musical household, like Ben said, which kind of, it's, you know, you can imagine be quite a nice place, a nice musical household, mm. but sadly, uh, it didn't seem to be the happiest household. No, and, and obviously it was just a two-bedroom uh, two-bedroom house as well, so the ten of them sharing two bedrooms, very crowded house. Didn't even... Um, but Michael... It doesn't work because it's no. not related to it. No, but music. Big thing. Shut up. <laughs> but Bing related Simple plan. No, Bing so yeah, so straight from the off, uh, music a big part of, of the Jackson family's life. And from the off, this is a theme that we'll, we'll talk about later on, but um, he didn't have an ordinary childhood, Tom. So yeah, really uh, interesting family dynamic. So not a very uh, ordinary childhood by any accounts. The, the easy finger to point is that the father, Joe, um, yeah. alleged to have been physically uh, aggressive, emotionally aggressive. I don't to, think he's even alleged. I think he was. Well, yeah, it's, it's out there. Um, but the mother as well, his mother, Catherine, a very interesting figure uh, throughout Jackson's life. So, uh, yeah, his mother, a very religious lady, very devout Jehovah's Witness. And that would be something that she kind of pushed onto her children from a very young age. The, the Jacksons would go out even when Michael reaches an element of fame uh, and go door-to-door evangelizing michael would actually wear a fat suit and a costume uh, so that he wasn't recognized when they would go from door to door but we'll, we'll talk about that in a little a little bit later but yeah childhood very uh very out of the ordinary childhood while most children in the street were playing him and his brothers were down in the basement rehearsing and practicing and it was alleged that they, they none of them really experienced a proper childhood proper upbringing so yeah joe was putting the band together jermaine was the lead singer and apparently catherine heard 
um, Michael singing whilst he was he was uh, making his bed, and she was like, "Oh, you need to hear Michael sing, Joe." And he's like, "No, we've got we've got the lead singer, we've got Jermaine." And he was very he didn't he didn't want to hear Michael sing because Michael was very young at this stage. He was uh, six years old, and essentially Catherine managed to persuade Joe after a long time of nagging for him to actually listen to him. And once he heard him, you know, he, he knew that he could he could be, he could front the band, which I imagine as well that immediately would probably probably piss Jermaine off to be honest yeah if yes. you, your six-year-old's brother's gonna take your limelight and that's where they, that's kind of how the Jackson 5 was formed he was he was brought in when he was six years old started to start performing with his brothers yeah and it's alleged that uh, particularly Jermaine of all the brothers Michael and Jermaine would have a bit of a kind of competitive rivalry as they were growing up together but yeah that couldn't have been a nice a nice feeling I think Michael was initially brought in on percussion but then to, to, to steal the front spot at six wow so the Jackson 5 got their start on the Chitlin circuit, and this is a nickname for the nightclubs and music venues throughout the Midwest and South that were friendly to black performers. During this era, the segregation was, was very bad, and even Sammy Davis Jr., when he was with the um, Rat Pack, would sometimes be denied entry into clubs. So there's a very particular kind of route where black performers felt comfortable and would actually get the limelight. And Joe Jackson would even make his children play in strip clubs, which traditionally would not allow uh, children in to enter, obviously. But he would also make um, make the Jackson 5 tour excessively around these parts, get their name out there, get on stage, a lot of uh, stage time for them. That's it. And so practicing all day during the day in the basement or traveling all day as well. Uh, and then playing all these various clubs that children should obviously have no part in through the night. So, yeah, very, very intense childhood uh, for all of the Jackson children there. So Joe Jackson has often been described as one of Hollywood's cruelest fathers, being physically and emotionally abusive towards his children. And he basically wanted them to succeed at any cost. And he, I don't think he really cared about the relationship. I know he didn't let Michael call him dad. He would only call him Joe. And I, there's an interview with Michael saying all I wanted to do was call him dad, but he wouldn't let him do that. And basically he would mock any mistakes they did. And often he would beat them with belts, ironing cords. And yeah, Michael get a lot of the brunt of it because he was, the, he was the lead man. But any of them make any mistakes, he basically led with an iron fist and he'd watch them for hours in rehearsals and any little mistake, they would be severely punished. One particularly memorable incident for Michael was when his father said to him that he had a fat nose uh, and then from that physically and emotionally abused him during a rehearsal. He would later go on to recall that Joe often sat by the, by the group as they were rehearsing in a chair, belt in hand, waiting for them to make a mistake. And he actually puts that down to part of the reason they, they had such a good work ethic as a group. They were so scared of, of Joe and, and constantly having to refer to him as Joe or Sir rather than Dad you kind of start to disassociate him as a father figure at that point. Yeah, definitely, yeah. So the the mother, Catherine, said that although Joe's whipping would eventually be considered abuse, back in that time, it was fairly normal in most households to, to for that kind of practice to, to discipline their children to be considered. You could have, I mean, obviously, didn't grow up at that time or in the area, but you would have thought that whipping for if they misbehaved, not whipping if they make a, mis- make a mistake whilst rehearsing. Yeah. And it, I mean, it got so bad to the point where Michael, he would even be sick at, you know, when Mike, when Joe would enter the room and he'd be so like kind of nervous around him. And there's imagine the stress of being at that, that young age going through that and having to try and live up to the, you know, his standards, which were, seemed to be perfection was his standards. So Definitely. it was a very unhealthy household to grow up in. I don't think Michael had a lot of ill will to, towards his mum. I know he left her, you know, a lot of the money in the state. So I imagine... That's because of that. But yeah, his, his dad, it was a thing of nightmares for him, really. Any mistake, he was, knew he was going to end up yeah, suffering a lot. In his uh, biography, one of his early biographies, one of the first chapters talks about him being down in the basement practicing and just looking out a window and seeing all the other kids in the neighborhood playing. 
and it was kind of alien to him. He didn't know that world or know that experience. Couple that with the fact that during the night you're on the road most of the week and then you're playing in very adult locations. That's that's hard to process for anyone. As well as everything that's that's going on, we talked about the mother, Catherine, being a very strict Jehovah's Witness. Within this, uh, the, the Jackson family would not celebrate birthdays, would not celebrate uh, holidays, Halloween, Christmas, anything like that. Um, just a couple of them to, uh, to name some of the holidays. Thanksgiving, I don't know where that falls on Jehovah's. It's not, it's not religious, is it? Um, well, none of them. Well, a lot, all of them are. So, yeah, so he wouldn't get parties. However, um, again... Uh, he would recall that he would go into closets within the house and have his own birthday party for himself in the closet. And that would be something that continued through his later life. He'd become scared of people organising parties for him or celebrating Christmas. He'd use that as evidence. I didn't have a... I didn't have a childhood and this is why I want to give childhoods back. So the group started to gain notoriety. And again, Michael is kind of six at the time. They do make their initial breakthrough. Uh, they're touring on the road all the time. They're on the Chitlin circuit. They're entering various, or Joe's entering them into various talent competitions uh, that they're, they're performing really well in. And they do start to catch the eye of many promoters and record label owners. The Jackson 5 would go on to make their first television appearance in 1969. They actually performed in the the Miss Black America pageant performing a cover of It's Your Thing. And even at that point, Rolling Stone magazine would go on to say that a young Michael came across as a prodigy with an overwhelming musical gift who quickly emerged as the main draw and lead singer. So again, you can only imagine how that made Jermaine feel. So throughout the mid-70s and through to the early 80s, the Jackson 5 basically gained more and more notoriety. They ended up switching record labels and leaving Motown for Epic Records, renaming themselves The Jacksons. Michael uh, was actually then not only the front man, but he became the group's main songwriter at the age of 20. There were so many different hits that he wrote at such a young age that, that it just, you could see his musical gift shine straight through. So the Jackson 5 are taking the world by storm at this time. The dance moves along with the music they're writing. And as you said, Michael was very kind of caught your eye and like his voice was unbelievable for his age. Yeah. And everyone was kind of falling in love with him as well as the band. And there was, seems like there was nothing they couldn't do any wrong at that stage. And yeah, every song was kind of rocketing up the charts. It's like uh, Barney out of the V sharp or V5. B sharps. B sharps. Got there in the end. I, I did. Thank you for that. But yeah. Obviously, Michael getting a lot of the attention now. And as a result, in 1978, he actually made the move to New York City uh, to start as the Scarecrow in a movie called The Wiz. I haven't seen it. Um, didn't get great reviews. It was considered a box office flop. Uh. But there was a silver lining to Jackson uh, taking this role and, and performing this role. And that is that it introduced him to Quincy Jones, who did the score for the film. And Quincy Jones would notably go on to produce three of his solo albums. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But during his time in New York, Jackson frequently visited the Studio 54 nightclub, where at the time it was kind of playing all the cutting edge. I sound so old when I'm saying this. But that's fine there, because... <laughs> no, we're the same age. We're not. We are. Give it a fortnight. During his time in New York, Jackson would frequently go to the Studio 54 nightclub uh, where he heard the latest hip-hop. <laughs> I sound so old. Fucking hell. So during his time in New York, Jackson would frequently visit the Studio 54 nightclub. And this is where he was introduced to early hip hop, which would uh, be a notable influence for later kind of beatbox elements of his of his musical career. 
1979, this is another quite poignant moment. So Jackson would actually break his nose uh, during a performance and he would actually have to undergo rhinoplasty, which led to breathing difficulties that later would go on to affect his career. And this is where he was introduced to Stephen Hofflin, who would later perform multiple surgeries for, for Jackson. A lot of controversy around, obviously, the change in his look over the years and the amount of surgery that he, that he did have. But it was the, the the first introduction to potential surgery was as, as a result of an injury. Yeah, it's, it's kind of been stipulated whether or not there was some uh, significant uh, problems with the first rhinoplasty he had. So therefore, he had to keep kind of undergoing the surgery and there's always kind of complications which would eventually lead to kind of the shape of the nose. But obviously, it's been speculated that with Joe Jackson berating him when he was younger, saying he's got a fat nose, he had very much had a kind of complex surrounding himself in the nose. So Jackson's biographer, Randall Sullivan, will actually say he eventually gave himself the nose of the boy, the young actor Bobby Driscoll, who was the model for Peter Pan in Walt Disney's movie. This biographer is kind of saying that he did it for that purpose, whereas it's been speculated whether it was actually all from a bad rhinoplasty job. So shortly after this, Jackson makes the decision to go solo, uh, kind of against the wishes of his parents at the time. And he would go on to release the album Off the Wall in 1979, which was a, a massive, massive uh, moment in his life and his career. Massive album globally as well. The album would actually sell over 20 million copies worldwide and he would actually win a Grammy and multiple AMAs uh, for this particular record. It breaks all kinds of, of records. It's regarded as one of the best albums of all time, introducing new sounds and sub-genres of music. So it's a massive kind of change of direction from the Motown kind of funk background that he had. And as a result of this, in the following year, he actually secured a deal with his record label that gave him the highest royalty rate in the music industry, which was at 37% of wholesale album profit. Yeah, I remember seeing an interview him saying when he was about 10 years old, he'd be getting $200,000 checks in the post. You know, he would use it to buy bubblegum and stuff. And it is, the money he was earning from that age was very, very significant. Yeah. I just want to run through kind of some of the big... Um, kind of records he holds because we're not going to go through all of his you know his career in terms of the achievements he's done but some of the numbers are absolutely you know incredible when you hear so jackson has sold over one billion records worldwide he's the first american artist to have sold over 100 million records both as a solo artist and as a member of a band thriller is estimated to have sold 70 million copies worldwide that is just but it's everything isn't it it's the look that he had it's the the new genres of, of music that he kind of blended and introduced to the world. Well, there's Sega games of him. There was, you know, people dressing up as fancy Halloween costumes. Like, Halloween? Was it just fancy dress? You did. It was a Halloween bubble. Yeah, so people dressing up as Halloween. It, it, he was a cultural icon. He brought together different kind of genres together. I mean, he was very quirky in things he did and his lifestyle, obviously, with... Uh, Bubbles the Chimp and you know his his kind of Neverland in itself is just such a fascinating thing and yeah the way he dressed and the way he danced and moved and then the way he sang it just it was it was something very different to that whole genre so it obviously made it he had a huge impact on people and that's why I think people are so kind of defensive on him now. He broke down so many barriers in terms of race as well, did so much for charity and various children's charities. I mean, there's there's celebrity and there's fame and then there's levels above this. So yeah, the only real names he could be compared to at the time were kind of Elvis and the Beatles. There was nothing before or since that has kind of been to that to that level. Yeah, he's been. I think he's been called the the, um, the most successful entertainer of, of all time. Obviously, yeah. he was labelled the king of pop, um, which in itself, you know, King of Rock and Roll, Elvis Presley. Um, it's like he's in that category. And if people yeah. are going to list the top 10 icons of music, he's always going to make that top 10. Yeah, he was considered one of the most significant cultural figures of the 20th century. Big statement. Big statement. One of. 
one of yeah but to be in that list oof. off the wall does ridiculous numbers for his first solo release but despite all of this michael felt that off the wall should have made a bigger impact and he was determined that his second release would uh, would be the one that really made his mark during a gap between albums he would actually record multiple tracks with freddie mercury who I know you're a fan of, between 1981 and 1983. However, the relationship allegedly soured when Michael Jackson brought a llama to the recording studio. It'd be alarming to see, wouldn't it, Dan? <laughs> Dan, would you be happy with someone bringing a llama into the studio? I'd be well up for it, to be fair. No, you wouldn't. You're, well, a, it, you're a clean freak. Look at the state of the studio. Yes, to be fair. And at, the, <laughs> at the same time, uh, uh, Michael wasn't very happy. He was upset by Mercury's drug use, so... Llama and I mean pot kettle later on. So he then goes on to release his second solo album in 1982, which was Thriller. And I mean, it's regarded as one of the best albums of all time. It was the best-selling album of all time worldwide, selling an estimated 70 million copies. So with records going platinum and stuff, this went 33 times diamond, which yeah puts that into perspective a little bit. Um, so yeah, it, it is absolutely phenomenal how many copies have sold and now it's it now it's topped more than 105 million copies worldwide so yeah it's it is extraordinary i mean he's in the rock and roll hall of fame not just his songs and his style but his music videos as well were like short films the way that they were all put together and thriller obviously was arguably the most famous music video of all time so on march 25th of 1983 jackson agreed to reunite with his brothers for the motown 25 yesterday today forever nbc television special now there was a little bit of controversy around this because initially jackson was kind of burnt out from touring and performing spending time in the studio and, and out with the llama but eventually he was kind of he had his hands turned and that was by berry gordy who was the founder of motown records who agreed to give michael a slot to perform a solo track if he had performed with the family as well. So Michael would go on to perform a very, very famous performance of Billie Jean, which actually earned him his first Emmy Award. Uh, he wore for the first time a white glove decorated with rhinestones, and he did the debut of his moonwalk. He would continue to tour the world, break sales records, win numerous awards. He was a phenomenon at the time. I'd already mentioned he'd broken the record for the highest royalty rate. And after the release of Thriller, he signed a new deal that basically gave him $2 for every album sold, which was, again, another record. And if you imagine how many millions he was selling. Yeah, that is absurd. but then you, that does sound like not... I know that is a lot, but it doesn't sound like a lot, does it? <laughs> Considering it's all his... Yeah, well, I, I had to Google what, because I, I know, obviously, there's a lot of money that he sunk into buying song uh, royalties. He bought it built at Neverland. He, he was quite an impulsive purchase around the shops uh, Michael Jackson's total career pre-tax earnings in both life and death exceeded 4 billion yeah, according to Forbes that is absurd which is a crazy amount of money and even the years after his, his, his passing the money that the estate make I know they sold the rights to a lot of the music and things like that but it's it's estimated that Sony acquired Michael's stake in Sony for 750 million dollars um, which was awarded awarded to his estates, so even even wow. in his passing, it's some serious money being thrown around. Between 1983 and 1984, Jackson and his brothers partnered with Pepsi uh, in a five million dollar promotional deal that broke records for celebrity endorsement at that time. So his star keeps on rising. He was invited to meet at the time President Ronald Reagan. 
Uh, in the same year, uh, Michael Jackson's making of the Thriller music video, I think it actually ended up winning a Grammy for the best music video. Time magazine at the time described... <laughs> time magazine described... Time magazine described Michael Jackson's influence at that point as star of records, radio, rock video, a one man rescue team for the music business, a songwriter who sets the beat for a decade, a dancer with the fanciest feet on the street, a singer who cuts across all boundaries of taste and style and colour too. So that's a little bit about Michael Jackson's career up to this point, you know, with ridiculous numbers and being very, very successful, a household name. We're going to now go into the timeline and look at the the accusations um, that were put toward him. December 1986. Michael Jackson meets a 10-year-old boy from California called James Safechuck when he is cast alongside Jackson in a Pepsi TV ad. Safechuck claims that it was after filming this ad that Jackson befriended him and his family, giving him gifts such as his jacket from the Thriller video. Jackson also began to fly the family in for visits as well as take them on holiday with him, including a trip to Hawaii where Safechuck claims that Jackson asked to sleep in the same bed as him. So yeah, apparently James Safechuck wasn't really a Michael Jackson fan before meeting him, but yeah, they seemed to get on at the shoot and yeah, Michael B seemed to become or want to be his friend. And this Safechuck would, uh, would, will eventually go on to become one of the two individuals that play a major role in the Leaving Neverland documentary. So May 1992, Jackson's car broke down whilst driving through Beverly Hills. He called a local car rental agency and June Chandler Schwartz was sent out to Jackson's aid. He was offered a free rental car if Jackson agreed to call her 12-year-old son, Jordan, who was a huge fan. Jordan Chandler had apparently sent Jackson letters in the 80s and received concert tickets in return. Jackson kept their number and was in regular contact and they began a close relationship. When he apparently, when he called uh, the breakdown company, he said about his car, I want to be starting something. And she said, sorry. <laughs> he said, I want to be starting something. I can't be starting something. I want to be starting something. And, um, and she just put the phone down. Then she realised what had happened. That was, that was good. February 1990. We've been genuine. I'm trying to build a bridge. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. No, no. <laughs> Episode number 12, Series 4. February 1993, Jordan Chandler, along with his mother and sister, were invited to stay at Neverland Ranch for the first time. They would often spend the evenings together in the guest house of Neverland Ranch. So yes, so Jackson obviously uh, formed quite a relationship with Chandler and their family, and he would fly them frequently uh, around America and around the world to be at his shows, including places such as Las Vegas, Morocco and Paris. And throughout these visits, Jackson became closer to Jordan Chandler, eventually sleeping in the same bed. This new lifestyle impacted the schedule of visitations with Chandler's biological father as Jordan's parents were divorced and he primarily lived with his mother and her new husband. It's a very biased view, but it's alleged that um, Jackson potentially arranged these visits around, obviously, the availability of the parents and also tried to forcibly put kind of distance between the parents as well in terms of flying them out to certain countries yeah, at certain I mean, times. So this was for during his 1993 Dangerous Tour. And so obviously, I mean, the dates in terms of that is for shows and whatnot. So weekends, apparently weekends of the time, he'd usually spend with his dad. So you could say it was just circumstance, but yeah, his dad thought it was very much you know um keeping him away from him essentially in the 25th of may 1993 the national Enquirer published the story michael jackson's secret family in which it suggests that jackson had stepped in as a father figure for jordan chandler implying concerns about his biological father evan chandler a well-known los angeles dentist along with this disruption to the visitation schedule evan chandler became uncomfortable with the relationship between jackson and his, his son which i think is completely understandable and i throughout this case i question why people don't feel that way a lot more a lot sooner. Evan Chandler then launched a custody battle for his children against his ex-wife claiming that Jordan had told him privately that he'd been molested by Jackson on multiple occasions. So between June and August of 1993, Evan Chandler after feuding with his wife continuously over Jordan's friendship with Jackson consulted lawyers about getting a restraining order against him Evan Chandler repeatedly threatened to destroy Jackson in phone calls which were recorded. The recordings were played in court for Jackson's lawyers and said, Once I make that phone call, this guy is going to destroy everybody in sight in any devious, nasty, cruel way that he can do it. I've given him full authority to do that. If I go through with this, I win big time. There's no way I lose. I will get everything I want and they will be destroyed forever. Michael's career will be over. This man is going to be humiliated beyond belief. He will not believe what is going to happen to him. Beyond his worst nightmares, he will not sell one more record. The lawyers hired private investigators to interview Jordan Chandler, who denied being molested. Evan Chandler and his lawyer were also invited to meet with Jackson's lawyers, a meeting in which Evan Chandler demanded $20 million in exchange for not going public with the allegations. Meanwhile in court, Documents were filed in the child custody case against the mother of Evan Chandler, June Chandler Schwartz, and that made no mention of Jackson. So yeah, on this, um, so there's a lot of kind of already a bit of 
mistiness with this in terms of Evan saying that his son has been molested and then Jordan saying that he hasn't been molested. So there apparently was a time when, because um, his dad was a dentist, basically his dad gave uh, Jordan a sedative and whilst he was under that kind of, you know, when you're on gas in, in the dentist, he asked Evan then if, he, if, if Jackson had ever touched his penis and apparently Jordan has said yes. So it, it was kind of, I've seen the word or the phrase truth serum has been bounded around about that. So um, he thought that's the way he kind of got the information out of his son. It's also been alleged that when you're under that kind of gas, you can kind of, it can be um, a time when you plant memories into people. You kind of suggest things that happen to them and that can kind of enter in their head and they can think that actually did happen. So there's a lot of uh, conjecture and suspicion around this. But the, yeah, the $20 million that they asked for, it, it, he actually, his legal team approached Jackson asking for 20 million or threatened to, you know, take it to court. So basically saying, yeah, if you pay us this, we won't, you know, take this any further and all this stuff. And Jackson refused, saying no way in hell. And a few weeks later, um, Jackson's legal team made a counter offer of a million, which I thought was quite ballsy counter offer. And this was declined by Chandler. And then they, who then came back with 15 million, Jackson refused and lowered his offer to $350,000. Yeah, Jackson being a good little haggler there. That's also confidence on his part that it's not going to go any further. So he's happy to offer a, a lower. Yeah, the only thing is with this, I mean, by the sound of things, it sounds like Jordan, you know, is getting a lot of pressure from his dad, it seems. And, you know, there can be a lot of um, argument there in terms of emotional blackmail, perhaps, between the parents in terms of, you know, the dad feeling like he's been he's being pushed out of his life. And, you know, he's he's implying these things to happen. Oh, well, if he's had the room, if he must have done this. And if he's planting memories, it's, it is a very kind of interesting time. But then I also think Jackson willing to pay $1 million not to have this brought up in court originally. Is that an omission of guilt or is that just not wanting his name to be dragged in the mud? Because if he doesn't pay it, it's going to be brought up in court anyway. So... That's one thing that's kind of I question about this whole uh, case in itself is the idea of paying people off before going to court. Is it a case if you don't want these things to come out because you're worried about these things coming out, or is it just a case if you you know you don't want to be linked in any way to that? Yeah, and I think uh, the the dad as well. So Evan Chandler waiting until his son was under sedative to ask him these questions. Yeah. You have to think there'd be reason for him to do that. Oh, definitely, 100%. Yeah. Um, but also then, why is he not just asking him, I guess, in an open and honest environment? Well, because it's, well, it's like when he's, he's scratching one of his teeth when he's doing this. So it's so like... It, waited. It's, yeah, it's just it's a very strange yeah, strange time to bring it up. I mean, obviously, it's a difficult question for anyone to ask anyone. Yeah. But doing it in that situation when he, you know, you're betraying his trust at doing it that, that, that way as well. That's a very peculiar thing there. And Evan Chandler, you know, it doesn't paint him in the best light there as well. Yeah. I mean, depending on these allegations, you know, were true or not. However, in mid-August, a day before losing the custody battle of his children, Evan Chandler set up an appointment for his son with a psychiatrist, Dr. Mattis Abrams. In this appointment, Jordan describes to Dr. Abrams being molested by Jackson, including cuddling, open-mouthed kissing, masturbation and oral sex. The law requires this kind of allegation to be reported to the authorities. So again, we were talking about kind of the father's reaction. A couple of weeks ago, we covered the case of Gary Plochet, and that was a an instant reaction from the, the father um, made the immediate decision to take revenge in the way that he saw be- saw fit or the way that he believed any, any parent would react. This father instead is taking his time. He's waiting until a situation where he can possibly obtain slightly more information under sedative from his son. Just seems a lot more kind of premeditated in his approach. Let me play the devil's avocado here. <laughs> if you're... Spicy. That would be a good name for a spicy avocado salad. If you were the dad, obviously, you could immediately say, I mean, like the case you mentioned there, he's gone for revenge in terms of, you know, 
violently, you know, well, killing the, the man. But in this case, you've got someone who is, you know, where we've gone through the, the figures, one of the richest men in the world, one of the biggest icons. If you found out yeah. that, it's like you'd feel intimidated by that, obviously. You know he'd, yeah. be, he'd be able to get the best lawyers around. If if this is all legit in terms of his son did say these things, and he, it's a very good thing to go up to someone and go, well, you put a price on what your child's innocence is worth. Gary Pluchet, he basically said, I did this so I, no other children could get hurt. Yeah. Whereas he, he's very much saying... You've done this. I want to get paid 20, 20 million, and we'll forget about it. Yeah, and we won't put it in court, and other children could be in danger. Yeah, it's it's the emotional response versus kind of the more logical or analytical response. And there's a lot of emotion involved in this particular case, whether people believe Michael Jackson is innocent or guilty. But if you stop, it, if you let emotions get in the way of kind of thinking logically and thinking analytically about it all, it just the whole thing is is bizarre. Yeah, and it gets it gets a lot more bizarre with um, Evan Chandler as we go on. Really, definitely. August 1993, Dr. Abrams followed protocol and reported Jordan's allegations to the Los Angeles Police Department, who, along with the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Office, began a formal investigation into Michael Jackson, filing search warrants for Neverland Ranch, his LA condo, and a Las Vegas hotel. There were reportedly videotapes seized from Jackson's condo, some of which containing pornography, but were not enough to incriminate him. I mean, obviously, at that, in that time, you know, in the 90s, it's going to be VHSs and stuff like that. So, yeah. and if it's not to incriminate him, obviously, it's, it's it's nothing which is considered child porn or anything like that. I think a big argument going into this, which I spoke to a few people, people before we did this case, and they was like, oh, I think he was just, um, you know, he thought, thought like a child. He was just very innocent. All the things mm-hmm. he did was all innocent. Um, he didn't know what he was doing. You know, sharing the bed, it was just a kind of, you know, like a slumber party kind of thing. But then when there's reports of being, you know, house full of pornography, He's obviously, obviously pretty sexualized if there's yeah. a significant amount. I mean, um, it then makes you go, okay, so he was having these kind of thoughts. I mean, I, th- I mean, yeah. someone liking porn doesn't mean, obviously, that they're going to molest children or anything like that. But I'm just saying it's like it kind of taints your, oh, he's just an innocent uh, yeah, guy. Yeah. No, I completely see what you mean. And, and I think I should have probably mentioned this when we were covering his childhood as well, but when the Jackson 5 were touring... And we're playing the, the circuits. Jackie and Tito, when when the family were, were touring, they would obviously stay in various hotels, motels, holiday inns. And because Jackson was, what, six, seven, eight at the time while they were on these tours, Jackie and Tito were obviously, uh, you know, entering their adolescence. They were out. They were, uh, you know, enjoying that celebrity lifestyle. They were bringing girls back to their hotels. So they would tell Michael, uh, who would be in the same room as them when they brought girls back to back to the hotel to stay absolutely still, to stay absolutely silent. And they would obviously bring girls back in and engage in all sorts whilst Michael was in the same room and at a very young age. Yeah, and apparently the girls were, oh, like, can we look at him and things like that? And yeah, they, the brothers were just very much like sending him just pretend you're asleep and just, yeah, don't look. But yeah, that's obviously, yeah, he's grown up in that environment where, like we said, he was, they were playing strip clubs. So that's it, yeah. he's grown up in a very adult environment. So yeah. To, share, to, to claim that sharing a bedroom with someone was an innocent thing when you've gone through that, again, to play devil's advocate because I was raised in a family that worshipped Michael Jackson. So I'm going to have some slight bias here, but that's a part that is kind of conflicting for me. I don't think he views the bedroom as kind of a, you know, sleepover. You as know, innocent like, as, yeah. as innocent as it seems on the surface, but we, we will go on to that. The 
LA Times reported at the time that the lack of physical evidence of alleged sexual molestation left investigators scrambling to get statements from other potential victims because the search warrant didn't result in anything that would support a criminal filing. So yeah, the you know, the investigators aren't finding anything apart from this claim, which you know Evan um, Chandler has been very much leading the way for it to happen. So. The allegations and subsequent searches made headlines across the globe. The news began to raise concerns about the relationships with the other children Jackson had befriended over the years, such as those appearing in music videos. So there was uh, another young boy at the time, uh, a young boy named Wade Robson, who was actually the other individual in this Leaving Neverland documentary. Um, And he was an Australian boy who had first met Jackson when he won a Michael Jackson dance contest in Brisbane and moved with his mother to Los Angeles with Jackson's encouragement. So basically, he then went on to have multiple sleepovers at the Neverland Ranch. The similar thing about this is all the the kind of very odd thing about this one, especially watching that documentary, is, you know, they have like a family back in Australia. Um, The father's left, I think the brother's left. And yeah, the mum and Wade just move over there. And just, mo- it just split the family up. So the mothers for, for both boys in the, the Leaving Neverland documentary are the kind of sole contacts who liaise mainly with Jackson, but then they're also the main kind of key witnesses in the subsequent allegations. So yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting because he's obviously able to kind of woo the parents or woo the mum anyway, woo, woo the mums. I mean, he obviously has a mum mode in the sense that he's able to talk to them and make them feel completely safe. He's obviously, you know bringing them to the Neverland Ranch where they've got, you know, everything you'd possibly need, a big theatre room, you know, all, all the different things they've got around there, all the animals and whatnot. And he does eventually do the kind of tactic of moving them further and further away from the certain room which they would sleep and kind of, you know, kind of isolating the child with them. With both these boys, he'd, in, he'd kind of introduced them to the massive celebrity lifestyle that he had to yeah. bring them on stage particularly Wade who had won that dance competition he brought him on tour with him I mean the, the crazy thing about that as well though you would think is who who now like there's a Michael Jackson dance competition there's no artist now that would be there'll be a dance competition for no it just goes to show like the stardom of, of what it was you know he was such a influential person and yeah like you said that he would happily walk around holding hands with them as well uh, which yeah. again and if you've got a pop star in there now with, with random boys just walking around some questions yeah it, obviously I mean this probably is influence how people think but that's um, it it goes back and we're not I'm not making this comparison because nothing has been proven but it goes back to the Jimmy Savile episode that we did the hidden in plain sight so firstly is he just completely innocent in all of this and he's just holding hands because he thinks that's a normal thing to do with, with someone that's a child or number two is he thinking that he's you know such a big massive celebrity that even if he does this it's not going to look out of the ordinary yeah. because he's quirky and you know well, we'll get into the handholding because there's actually yeah. a little thing about that later on as well. So Wade would hold an interview with CNN in which he stated that he had slept in the same bed as Jackson, but nothing sexual in nature had occurred. Wade said, we'd gone to say, we slept in the same bed. We were both fully dressed in pyjamas. It's a huge bed. He sleeps on one side, I sleep on the other. Wade's mother would say, they play so hard, they fall asleep, they're exhausted. There's nothing more to it than that. So again, so it's just like... Fully aware. It's just, but it's just saying, it's very much saying, talking about him as... He's just a big kid. Another one to go back to the obviously so uh, so with Wade and with James, they're the two kind of key players in the uh, Leaving Neverland documentary. So with James Safechuck, Michael had also bought him a friendship ring. But there's allegations in a, a very biased documentary, of course. If they, they have a clear agenda in in what they're trying to kind of deliver. But apparently, Michael, and it's shown in the in the documentary, Michael buys him a friendship ring. However, um, Safechuck is kind of 
positioning it as that was kind of an engagement or pre-engagement promise ring. He's walking, holding hands with him. Um, they're showing off the ring. There's photos of them together. It's yeah, it's uh, it doesn't make in hindsight um, pleasant viewing. There's obviously a lot of conflicting information here, especially with, with accounts of, of of who said what. Um, but in Vanity Fair article alleged to have spoken to Jamie, who was really Jordan Chandler, but I think she gave him another name, and his lawyer saying that Michael was in love with the boy. Also alleging that Jamie's mother had argued with Jackson over his sleeping arrangements with her son, with him saying, "Why don't you trust me? If we're a family, you got to think of me as a brother. Why make me feel so bad? This is a bond. It's not about sex. This is something special." That if again, whatever way you believe in this. If he says something like that, that is very manipulative to the point of, why are you making me feel so bad? This is Bond, it's not about sex. If we're family, think of me as a brother. It's it's all very manipulative behaviour. And from that point onwards, the family claims that Jamie slept with Jackson nearly every night for the next several months. The protests from June Chandler, Swartz, um, are first noted, so it may be that she was trying to cover her back when the reports came out. So this is when, you know, multiple allegations kind of come forward um, after it first becomes kind of public public news so the the vanity fair article kind of encourages a lot more people to kind of come out of the woodwork as it often does in in situations such as this michael jackson is kind of at the peak of his celebrity at this point as well he's a global superstar uh, touring the world and now he's got a huge civil suit kind of just around the corner and in september of 1993 the chandlers file a 30 million dollar civil suit against jackson alleging that he had repeatedly committed sexual battery on their son. The claims also include willful misconduct, seduction, fraud and intentional infliction of emotional distress and negligence. For unknown reasons, June has a change of heart and sides with her husband against Jackson. Yeah, which that's a big kind of red flag. Cause, I mean, unless her father's been convinced to her or is she just seeing the money there and being like, I've gotten everything I can from this friendship and whatnot. Jackson's legal team claim that this suit is part of an attempt to extort Jackson. The civil case proceeds along with the investigation into Jackson. Jackson's team put various young boys who have befriended him on the stand. As Ben said, with Vanity Fair, a lot of people coming out of the woodwork and obviously a lot of families, you know, a lot of them as well came from kind of poor families, seeing this kind of money uh, towered in, in, in the headlines and they'd be thinking, you know, is there money in this for our family. I mean, at this point as well, Jackson often had invited various charities to Neverland, various children from around that was it We Are the World. Yeah, but I mean, like the thing about that though is, again, like we've we've discussed with many cases, is it just they're vulnerable children? Are these children that people wouldn't leave what they had to say, yeah. and the people that you know, oh, maybe if I do this, I'll get this, or if I if I stay quiet, I might get it. I'm, I'm obviously I'm p- playing very much devil's advocate, but um, you know, you love to think it's purely done out of kindness of his heart and all it was 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 pure charity work but we have to put that out there that could be possibility definitely definitely and I think that's fair and as we said obviously myself producer Dan both massive MJ fans yeah big fan there we go so it's, it's, it's been really hard the research for this case because so much of me doesn't want it to be true and so much of me wants it not to kind of taint this legacy but that I he has I think that's what a lot of people do just just like flat out go no 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 he's innocent, yeah. he's innocent and all of this is just extortion or everything like that and it's like yeah that's one of the reasons we're doing this case is because it is, it is good to actually look at the other factors of it a lot of this we're using the word allegedly because yeah. you know it hasn't been proven to be true is what, or, or that's what they're, they're suggesting but you can't just 
flat out rule out things because you like the the way they sing and dance. Well, that's it. And we, I mean, we've had people that are contesting our Jimmy, and I'm not making a, a Michael Jackson Jimmy Savile comparison or a Michael Jackson Ian Watkins comparison, but we received comments from people that were fans of Ian Watkins who kind of contested the allegations, though it's been proven in court. Fans of Savile that again has been kind of proven in court. So. That situation was slightly different, but with Michael Jackson, there is so much passion in the, his following. Even if, you know, tomorrow evidence came out that conclusively proved that he had done these things, I think it would still be very hard to convince his following on his very loyal, passionate There would following. be a lot of people with egg on their face. Yes. Wouldn't yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, there's so many artists who, who say he's the biggest inspiration, they've covered his songs, they've kind of ripped off his dance moves or whatnot. Like we said before, we've, one of the big questions a lot of people ask in the, in the comments in the Ian Watkins one, again, we're not making a comparison, but it's about listening to the music, do you does it feel weird? If it was proven that Michael Jackson was guilty ever, would people still listen to Michael Jackson? I think they would. Yeah, I think they would. Yeah. I think they would. <laughs> Just a light enough of it. <laughs> Sorry, that was not appropriate. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as I said, we're, we're just stirring the pot here. Yeah, before we do move on, there currently is no concrete evidence. There's a lot of allegations. There's a lot of out-of-court settlements. There's a lot of indictments. But then is out-of-court settlements? Like, as <laughs> You're set- always going to look guilty, aren't you, if, if you want to settle out-of-court, yeah. I feel. But at the same time, if you have his schedule... If you have his commitments, if you have his amount of resource where, you know what, settling out of court, it might look quite bad, but, you know, it's no skin off my nose. Ooh, didn't mean it. It's no uh, hey. it's no uh, dust off my shoulders. Is that a saying? It's no rhinestones off my glove. There you go. It's no... Um, Dan, have you got any? Jump in and save me here. You, got you could have left it. You're on your own. It's no... Um, Moon off my walk. Was not the noise. Ow, ow, ow. You right? So I had, I had something in my throat, and it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it. I think if you had his resource, mm. although yes, it looks guilty. Are you really going to want to go and spend the next three or four months every day in and out of court when you could be out and making people, even... people attacking you in court about things? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I do know what you mean. That's a very valid point. And as well, we will go into there's there's lots of FBI evidence that's emerged, which I think you can't just look at it and go. That guy is, he was great, eh? I agree completely, and I think he didn't do himself many favours in a lot of elements of his lifestyle. By the way, I am very much amping up the whole, like, kind of playing the devil's advocate, because I know Ben's a big fan. I don't want him to be constantly just going, well, this isn't true. Yeah. So I am staring the pot, because I'm not a huge Michael no, Jackson no, no. fan. No, that's fair enough. And I, and I, no, and it's really, it's it, he, at points in this timeline, and we're going to get to, it does become difficult to defend him. The amount of allegations and the amount of, mm, it's loose evidence still. I don't think there's concrete evidence. I don't think there's enough concrete evidence. Well, he got a lot of people under his trance you included it seems and as well as these families if Michael Jackson is on the end of the phone which again I just find that whole because apparently he was on the phone as if they were his family there's pictures of him going to their houses like little just like normal apartments in the cities he would go to their houses you're like Michael can't we go to go to their houses wearing his pyjamas and he was sleeping in their bed at their houses as well and that's I find that wild yeah just that image that's not normal behaviour no and that is hard to defend. But at the same time, is that the behaviour of someone that just needs a family dynamic around him? If he wants a proper, stable, loving kind of family environment, maybe that's something that he missed out on or he feels he missed out on. But still, for a, you know, a superstar celebrity to be rocking up in you know, a onesie and, yeah, and some yazoo. And even, I mean, 
you have to sleep in the bed with them? Could you not have, could you not have a bed in another room? Is that not why he went to their houses? Because multiple bedrooms on his property, multiple buildings. Oh, well, he's... Had a train station, a house with a train station. But yeah, a house with a train station, but not enough rooms for the, the kids stayed in his room. And they got the, he got the, the other family to sleep in another wing of the house. It's fucking weird. Yeah. I'm not, no bones about it. You don't have to try and defend it. That's just literally, no, 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 we've no, read no. it. He's sleeping in, he's sleeping in the, he's sleeping in, we're not saying he's done anything, but he's, he's definitely sleeping in the beds with him. Everyone's saying that. Living with Michael Jackson documentary, the Martin Bashir one, which we'll go into, he says openly on there, we share the beds. Yeah. So that's not at all to be disputed. We know that's true. And I just find it weird. A man sharing a bed with a young boy. So there you go. Numerous allegations, numerous indictments, numerous out-of-court settlements. He's also then, you'd think, if, you know, and we're going to go on to what eventually they agreed to, but you'd think if he'd already been through this, that would be kind of, right, you know what? Probably stop that. Rain it in. Yeah. yeah. It's cost you this. It's taken this much time. It's not done your image the world of good. Well, like later, he has children. Obviously, if it's all innocent, and if they're not having children, make that family environment yourself, Michael with your own family you've got it forever so throughout the criminal investigation various young boys are interviewed including the 13 year old son of Jackson's former maid Blanca Francia uh, while he initially denied being abused he eventually told police that Jackson tickled him and touched his genitals the mother also said she had witnessed Jackson molest many other young boys but didn't come forward until after she heard about the Chandler allegations so that you could see she's seen a moment there she's like again like I said maybe short moment of money there or was it a case of like a lot of times people feel scared and feel intimidated to come forward Yeah, and you know she's your employee you know you're working for the biggest icon in the world you can't just say oh she's she's, she's going for money there's a lot of different um, aspects to it and as this was an ongoing investigation she wasn't supposed to repeat allegations to any other sources but gave multiple depositions throughout the Chandler's civil suit and also a paid interview with tabloid news show hard copy in December of that year so maybe it was about the money um <laughs> We don't know the full story. We don't know exactly what Blanca's situation was, but it does seem a bit or we get a bit ropey if you then start to go and yeah, and all, and your your son was only allegedly abused after it came to light that he could potentially have abused other mm. other children, so not beforehand. And you had a, almost a front row seat being a maid at Neverland. I wouldn't want to be in that front row. So the twelfth of November, nineteen ninety three. Oh, the popcorn sorry. The 12th of November, 1993. In the midst of the trial and investigation, Jackson cut his tour short and fled to Mexico to a drug treatment facility. Jackson's lawyers fought to keep the trial going without him being deposed as they claimed it would interfere with the police investigation. However, the judge ordered that Jackson would have to stand trial in the civil suit whether or not the criminal investigation was completed. So yeah, he's tried to kind of take a break and get away from it all, but unfortunately that looks to have been more of a hindrance than a, a solution to the situation. So the 8th of December 1993, Latoya Jackson, um, uh, Michael Jackson's sister, gives a damaging interview during a press conference held while she was on tour in Tel Aviv, claiming that the abuse allegations against her estranged brother were true. Which, that is... Yeah. I mean, is that p- press for her show? I mean... She was one of the more irrelevant Jacksons, yeah. as I recall. She, yeah, she wasn't... Yeah, she was no Janet. Um, but again, <laughs> you're, not, you're not going to go, oh, Latoya, oh, Latoya's on tour. I'll go see her now after she's just slagged off her brother. And, and where was she? Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. A tell-all in Tel Aviv. 
She said, this is very difficult for me. Michael is my brother, but I cannot and I will not be a silent collaborator of his crimes against small, innocent children. I mean, again, maybe she did know something and maybe she was just coming out and being honest with it. But she also claimed throughout the interview that their mother, Catherine Jackson, has shown her checks that Michael has made to some families in exchange for their silence on the abuse of their sons. Latoya also repeats the allegations she made in her 1991 autobiography. She and all her siblings were subject to sexual abuse by their parents. Other members of Jackson's family, including his mother, rushed to his defence, claiming that Latoya is lying and I'll tell her to her face that she's lying adding that her daughter was trying to make money off Michael's downfall. So that's a really bizarre um, set of circumstances. So firstly, Latoya obviously coming out and, and sharing all this private, very intimate family information is bizarre. But then going so specific as to say, my mother Catherine has shown me checks that he's written. Well, I think How the, would the mother have the checks? Because Michael was still close to his mum. Maybe he spoke to her about these things and that she helped facilitate the, you know, the transaction. Perhaps, again, this is all just me making this up. Why should, This is just me thinking why she'd have the checks. such a specific thing for her to say, though. That's why I'm inclined to think, <laughs> I don't know, it's either a really elaborate lie or... Yeah, I mean, obviously, we, haven't even, we didn't even touch on the sexual abuse yeah. by the parents and, you know... Um, or again. how the family behave after he's gone. Like vultures, a lot of them. You said you do want to suck of the Jackson family earlier. Well, yeah. They're all vultures. 20th of December 1993, Jackson is strip searched by the police. His genitals and body are photographed and videotaped so they can be compared to Jordan Chandler's description. The strip search warrant was reportedly launched to see if Chandler's description of Jackson's white patches of vitiligo matched his body. So just a little bit more in depth on the vitiligo and, and taking the pictures to try and compare the, the accounts. The groin area apparently is the most common areas to get it, along with the inside of your elbows and the back of your knees. Something about the skin in the, in the crease. However, vitiligo can change shape slash grow in as little time as a month, let alone multiple months that would have gone by since Chandler had any contact, so the search was kind of pointless. Yeah, I mean, throughout the years, obviously, Jackson's appearance would change drastically. He'd give many reasons for this, um, and uh, the vitiligo um, obviously had drastic effects on his his body at the time. He would put it down to uh, his check, well, specifically his facial appearance changing due to three plastic surgeries as a result of an initial incident. First of all, performing where he broke his nose, then the Pepsi incident, where um, which we're, I think we're going to go on yeah. to talk about. But he would also put it onto puberty, weight loss, a strict vegetarian diet, a change in hairstyle and stage lighting. During the 80s and 90s, there's a lot of people asking why had he turned himself white. I remember growing up, hearing that, why is he bleaching his skin? That was, yeah. that was said a lot. Wearing um, makeup was another. Yeah, makeup. But then, yeah, but then he would say about his skin disorder, it destroys the pigmentation of his skin. It's something he cannot help. And after he passed away, they did they did tests and his autopsy, and it revealed and it confirmed that he did a vitiligo, as did his medical history, and he did appear to use Benequin to help depigment his skin, but not because he wanted to be white, but as an FDA-approved treatment for his vitiligo. So. Yeah. It, it, that all adds up. I mean, obviously, that's got nothing to do with this case whatsoever. It's just one of these things that people seem to be fascinated with about Michael Jackson. A quote as well that, that Jackson would say on the on the time of his cha- ever-changing appearance, when people make up stories that I don't want to be who I am, it really hurts me. He was diagnosed officially to have had uh, vitiligo in 1983. So two days later, after Jackson was strip-searched, he publicly addresses the accusations and searches in a video statement filmed at Neverland Ranch. There's quite a famous video here of him in Neverland Ranch to and um, talking to the camera directly about this in which he describes the strip search as the most humiliating ordeal of his life he also says if this is what I have to endure to prove my complete innocence so be it and no arrest warrant was issued yeah because I was thinking about that so if if he's obviously gone on record to say and I imagine it was a horrible situation to have to go through that but would you have a right to refuse what could probably be seen as they have some guilt I think they did have a warrant yeah but I've never 
I've never heard. I guess if it's such a, what do they then do with that? Obviously, they use it to cross-reference the statement, but they wouldn't do a lineup or anything, would they? Have no, but if, for example, if it was such, if if the the detail that was given was such a thing like he has a birthmark. Ben has a triangular cock. And they they give big, they get the warrant and then it's like oh it does look like a Mister Man well, it's then, a bit more like a rhombus scaling probably uh, well, and no, they, well. <laughs> then if it did match out perfectly to what the kid said then then essentially yeah. if it's as as different a thing as that then yes, yeah, you can yeah, kind yeah. of see it but like the point there is with Vitiligo it, things can change drastically over a month and this was months afterwards so it was essentially you wouldn't get, prove anything from it yeah. And again, something like that would have been perhaps forming slightly more concrete evidence, but it couldn't. So. Yeah. So there you go. So January 25th, 1994. After months of negotiations, Jackson chooses to settle the civil suit with the Chandlers for more than 22 million, with 15 million set aside for Jordan in a trust until he turns 18. His parents each got $1.5 million and the rest of the money went to the legal team. In return, Jackson did not have to admit any wrongdoing and disclaimed any liability and denies any wrongful act. The criminal cases in both Santa Barbara and Los Angeles remained open. So yeah, that's he's probably agreed to that because he has essentially not agreed to any kind of guilt there. I mean, as well, he's, he's been put through, like he said, the most humiliating moment of his life. Maybe he's like, look, let's just knock this on the head and and move on from that sounds ridiculous to say but 22 million can in the context of what he was making from brand deals it's alone change his Cirque du Soleil act probably pulled that in a year his what? he had a couple of Cirque du Soleils <laughs> I think they're still going now they are they are I saw the Beatles one instead it's really good in Vegas there's an MJ one okay I didn't why? Just didn't. You think he's innocent, eh? I know, but I, I, I like the Beatles. Do you? This is the first you've ever mentioned the Beatles ever. <laughs> so a good hotel as well, casino, the Mirage. So I'll do with that what you will, guys. Um, so February to April 1994, grand juries in both Santa Barbara and Los Angeles were presented with the prosecution's case against Jackson, including testimony from both Jordan and June Chandler, but declined to indict. So there, that's another jury which have gone. That's not enough evidence there. In September 1994, prosecutors announced that they are not filing any criminal charges against Jackson, citing the primary alleged victim's refusal to testify as the reason. So yes, the victims there are not going up to actually testify, which is curious considering... Yeah. What's at stake there? The LA District Attorney and Santa Barbara DA revealed that 18 month criminal investigations produced absolutely no incriminating evidence against the singer. 18 months and yeah. they didn't find a thing. And their refusal to the victims, alleged victims' refusal to testify, I think they put it down to either being too, they were being too damaged by this of, of which, series of events, I mean, which is yeah. fair, but there's no evidence to suggest that this happened. But also, they were playing on the fact that they were young. Um, and you know, not potentially, you know, brave enough to to take the stand. So I guess though, if it's multiple court cases going through all the same details again, being put on the stand and being cross-examined, yeah. having the defence team cross-examine you, trying to make you slip up, it would be a lot of stress. Definitely, 
February of 2003, so this is a massive moment uh, in the kind of timeline of the case. So Living with Michael Jackson documentary airs in both the UK and the US with BBC journalist Martin Bashir. Filmed between 2002 and 2003, the documentary featured a series of interviews with Jackson arranged by Jackson's longtime friend Yuri Geller. Bashir assured Geller that it would be an honest film about Jackson's life. So with this, obviously, there's another documentary, Louis Theroux, where he was trying to do the interview. They were both bidding for both this bidding kind it. of... And then uh, Martin was probably like, oh, Arthur Bashir at doing the documentary. And <laughs> yeah, he got he got the... Um, I guess because Louis... Did couldn't get through. <laughs> Louis Theroux couldn't get through. Is that what you were going to... No. Go on. Because yours would probably be better. I haven't got... Pe- I was just going to go into it. <laughs> Generally wasn't going to make a pun. Oh. Yuri Geller was advising um, Michael Jackson of which people to go with. And it was very much a case of with Louis did a lot of like weird and like the weird weekends. You know, he kind of highlighted people in his very dry way. He kind of made people seem very odd. And it, it was alleged Louis could also kind of trap people in the, his, his, his yeah. for, variety Some of Some people questions. thought he was quite snaky with how he, he yeah. questions people. Whereas, Whereas Bashir, Martin Bashir. Martin Bashir is more considered a kind of more kind of, or Yuri Geller thought he's more of a genuine journalist. I mean, he's going to do more of a just, you know, tell the truth about the story about his friend. Uh, but that wasn't to be quite the way it would go. In the documentary, there's footage of Jackson holding hands with and cradling a young teenage cancer survivor, Gavin Arvizo, and they say that they share a bed. Both Jackson and Gavin deny that anything untoward is going on. Jackson says, My greatest inspiration comes from kids. Most of the footage, including conversations between Bashir and Jackson, suggested Jackson's predatory intention. So yeah, so this is this is massive. And at the time, obviously, he'd been through he'd been through various allegations. Uh, you know, a decade beforehand, yeah. there'd been the doors to Neverland had obviously been fairly closed to any kind of documentary crews or filmmakers at the time. So he, was, he, did, he didn't have any trusted journalists at all, did he? Yeah. Of, and why why would he in the mm. way that they'd 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 painted him? Leave me alone. That track, the video, sums it up really nicely. I remember obviously watching the documentary with my parents who are massive fans and it was just silent the whole time. And I seem to remember as well, because I, I must have been like 13 at the time this came out. When was it? 2003? 2013, yeah. I seem to remember the reaction in the UK at the time this came out was very, very different. And obviously this is still kind of early days in terms of the eventual information that was released. But the UK had a very outraged reaction to Michael Jackson. America, the way I remember it, could be remembering it wrong had a very outraged reaction at martin bashir yeah very defensive of michael but i mean it's all there and well that's it but then there was also uh the way it was cut and edited because of the paranoia he had he also had his own film crew there and he filmed the whole interview so the way it was cut it was kind of engineered by bashir and his team to make him look as guilty as possible and Mm. the michael jackson's version of 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 the full interview jackson gives running commentary on it as well and it's the way it's cut and edited is not fantastic, but also the things that he's clearly doing in camera, also not fantastic. Because, yeah, I was watching, I, for doing research for this, I watched the documentary again. I was kind of going, oh, okay, well, you look at certain clips of him saying, you know, he goes into his, his, I think it's his thinking tree or his wishing tree. Wishing tree, and that's where he writes songs. He encourages Martin Bashir to go up there. He says his favorite pastime is climbing trees and, and uh, water balloon fights. And like, I think like, you do kind of get lost in that sense of, oh, he is just a big child. He does mention in there never wanting to grow up, never wanting, never wanting to die. He always wants to stay young. Peter Pan is, you know, very much themed throughout his house. You do get lost in that idea of, he is just a, a child. It's very childlike and he's very innocent and it all seems very innocent. But like we said, with with the porn pornography fan and we're going to go into more things, is that all an act? And um, Was he acting for the documentary? 
did he did he see see this well, as a time to be good press for him over all the bad press he had received beforehand? That's it. And from the age of six, he's been not only coached but skilled and almost every day of the year performing, putting on a performance. It's alleged that he might have had multiple personality disorder in that he's got stage Michael, off stage Michael two key ones there but behind closed doors Michael from a very young age from six years old he's able to manipulate or present himself to an audience and he knows how to manipulate that crowd and how he's sell, yeah, sell himself to the audience exactly. and endear himself to the audience and all those things Definitely, so yeah. he's a very smart guy in terms of a businessman the amount of different acquisitions he made and and some questionable purchases he made. You can't question the, his, his genius in terms of his songwriting, his, his, his performances, the, the, the cultural significance of the impact he had there. So he's not, just a, he's not just a kid, an adult kid. He's up there in terms of being able to switch it on and switch off at any point for the cameras, for the audience. It's very charming. Martin Bashir does kind of I, I remember in the documentary the music changes when he starts talking about this and it's kind of like it's obviously the documentary is very much trying to make things scandalous and he kind of questions further about the fact that they're sleeping in the bedroom and Michael Jackson would say it's a beautiful thing it's not sexual we're going to sleep I tucked them in it's very charming it's very loving this is what the world needs now more love what's wrong with sharing and love and yeah again if you look at it through the, eye, the eyes of it's all innocent very sweet then yeah um, he, he he constantly says about people ignorant if they think different. We've yeah. done very well not to do a single Michael Jackson impression as well. For, for this. Well, we've got buttons for that, haven't we? But but that's ignorant. I mean, you love doing accents of people. I do, but I can't do Michael Jackson. I'd love voice. to hear your heal the world. You can't do it. Uh, more than fifty-five million viewers. Make it a better place. Fuck, that's terrifying. <laughs> you and for me and let's get back to the case there are there have been people dying if you care enough for the living more than 55 million viewers worldwide tuned into the premiere reigniting the public's interest in the allegations from the 90s jackson issues a statement after the documentary airs saying he is devastated by the betrayal of him and it felt utterly betrayed he says martin bashir persuaded me to trust him and that this would be the honest and fair portrayal of my life i'm surprised a professional journalist would compromise his integrity by deceiving me in this way yeah other things about the documentary you watch it it's like he does display very manic behavior in certain points you know dangling blanket over the balcony and throwing things out and just in buying all those things in the shop it, it is very, very impulsive very impulsive very quick but then other moments is very sweet and he's like he seems a bit out of his depth when he's talking about how, what he thinks about the ferris wheel he's like yeah it's, it's very slow <laughs> he's like do you go out here by yourself and he's like yeah he's like, do you if you turn on the ferris wheel you jump on i feel like he actually would have done bloody michael jackson eh? what's he like get out of that tree mike no you're ignorant but that's it. I mean, everything that he feared from letting Louis go loose on the on the documentary, he got from Bashir. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like if the same set of circumstances had presented themselves to Louis, he probably would have done the same the same thing. Then Louis did interview Jimmy Savile. That's true, but Savile didn't. Oh no, he did do some weird things in that. Very weird. Yeah, things. but he did, he wasn't sat holding. Well, he did do some weird thing. You're right. You're right, maybe Louis wouldn't have seen what Again, Martin saw. I'm not comparing Savile to Michael Jackson. I'm merely saying that Louis interviewed someone who was disgusting and it didn't... If of... anything, Tom's comparing Martin to Louis and that's we'll leave it there. And I love the Louis... It's well worth a watch the Louis Theroux documentary because he kind of goes to Yuri Geller afterwards and he's kind of like, <laughs> you fucked up. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like when's the last time you spoke to Michael Jackson? He goes, he's not called me for a long time. <laughs> but that whole... 
the biggest draw that Louis's documentary had um, was that he got a, a, an exclusive interview with Michael Jackson's father, Joe. He paid a lot of money for paid £50,000 for this particular and back then, of... And back now, now that would be worth what? 56000 At least. Whoa. At least, yeah. But the whole time Joe walked in with his like little entourage and made fun of the BBC cameras, asked where he was filming from, and he kept cutting and starting the interview, kind of directing everyone, yeah. said he wasn't going to do the interview because you needed a bigger camera. Yeah. Bizarre. Very weird. Bizarre. And also, it's just like when certain questions are asked, you can't ask Joe Jackson those questions. It's like, yeah, it was very... It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good way to spend 50000 Pounds. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be fair to say. I don't think Louis would hold that against me. If he did, I'd tell him to beat it. Um, not that. Um, from the Martin Bashir documentary, the um, child scene holding his hand, uh, Gavin's mother issued a statement including the quote, The relationship that Michael has with my children is, is a loving father, son and daughter one. To my children and me, Michael is part of the family. Also saying she was thinking of taking legal action against Martin Bashir. Let's see how long this lasts. So later, February 2003, the Aviso family take a trip with Jackson to Mexico. Jackson had also arranged for the family to move to a new apartment in a new school district after some unwanted attention from not only Gavin's classmates, but concerns raised by his teacher surrounded the relationship with Jackson, also accusing Janet Aviso of neglect. The trip was suddenly called off by Janet. Some later claims suggest that Jackson's team wanted to trap them in order to prevent them from making any allegations against Jackson. Others suggest that it was Jackson's attempt at distancing himself from the family by moving them to an apartment that that made Janet realise that she would no longer be financially supported by Jackson, and so sought legal representation at first how to sue Bashir, then in regards to a civil suit action against Jackson. So between June and November of 2003, the documentary gives the Santa Barbara Sheriff's Department and District Attorney's Office an opportunity to start investigating Jackson once again. The authorities interview Gavin Arvizo along with his mother, father and brother over a six-month period. Eventually, Arvizo claimed that Jackson had molested him several times between February 21st and March 12, 2003, beginning one day after Living With Michael Jackson aired in the US. Janet Arvizo, the boy's mother, now claimed that Jackson had held the family captive at Neverland. Jackson denied both the sexual abuse and the captivity allegations. Arvizo's claims were made as John Doe. With a victim willing to give evidence, the district attorney was able to officially reopen their criminal investigation into Michael Jackson. John Doe's had some life, eh? Hey. So obviously all this bad press would circulate. If that was true, that would be seem the worst time ever to do it. Mm-hmm. especially with all that stuff and then him coming out with it or is that just a case that they've gone well he wasn't lying in the documentary because he said that they were just sleeping in beds but then straight away afterwards they, that all changed, changed you. Um, and also there was they allega- came out and backed him as well straight away didn't they to the public the captive thing is yeah, it's, it's allegations of them of Jackson like, keeping them in there not letting them out so they couldn't go s- and spread the story so even more like allegations coming, coming his way and that's the thing without the documentary this case wouldn't have been reopened the documentary was able to shed light that no police force had so far managed to do. 18th of November 2003, over 70 police officers raided Neverland Ranch after serving Jackson with a search warrant. Jackson was in Las Vegas with his family at the time, filming a music video. The search allegedly only revealed a stash of pornography. However, two days later, Jackson flew back to California to surrender to the authorities and was arrested on child molestation charges. Police booked Jackson, but do not disclose the full details of the charges, nor the identity of the alleged victim. There's very infamous footage of the uh, Neverland being being um, 
being raided and then also the booking photo that they'd made of of Jackson this is quite a haunting image that they took so we'll, we'll bob it up here but yeah very key moment and uh, it was kind of subsequent news in the UK having the Martin Bashir documentary having kind of caused all of this so it was it was all mainstream headlines across the world yeah. at the time like no other celebrity would have caused Jackson is released a week later on a three million dollar bond and on the condition of surrendering his passport he's allowed to return home to await trial so forensic experts found the fingerprints of boys alongside Jackson's on the same pages of pornographic magazines found beside Jackson's bed during their search Jackson also had bondage sculptures of women with ball gags in their mouths on his desk in full view of the boys who had been sleeping there so what we're going to do is kind of go into a bit more detail about the allegations um, what is alleged to have taken place during these sleepovers it's fairly graphic uh, so a lot of these quotes are from the leaving uh, neverland documentary um and the boys accounts yeah obviously these allegations there's no proof this is what the boys have gone gone on to say that had happened to them so allegation number one is that michael jackson brainwashed the boys and their families um so both uh children and their families obviously got very immersed in Michael Jackson's world but the boys felt that Michael Jackson had picked them had hand picked them which is uh, a similar way that some predators often go about picking their victims the families enamored with their suddenly rich lifestyle went along with it even as they were increasingly cut off from the boys is a similar way to the way that R Kelly is accused of doing to his alleged victims the parents thought that Jackson was a gentle lonely childish man and the boys looked up to him as a superhero allegation number 2 Michael Jackson introduced the boys to masturbation and hardcore porn so with this yeah it was kind of seen as you know showing things at first i think there's that kind of like nudist kind of uh, magazines and things like that so slowly introducing the boys to, to pornography and then it would allegedly go on to say oh you know this is something you enjoy it's masturbation and like i do it too and kind of making it seem like a normal fun thing to do together and then introducing the boys into hardcore porn as well to yeah. seem to be kind of slowly progressing into the kind of uh, more sexualized uh, behavior definitely and during this time as well he would make both boys practice getting dressed as quick and silently as possible in case anyone tried to get into their room it's alleged that he also had alarm systems set around the bedroom and around the outside yep. of the building apparently for his own safety but they were only internal alarms so the alarm would have only set off inside yeah and i think as well a lot of the times they would do things in the closets that will allegedly do things in the closet so when if someone went will go into the go into the room then there'll be another door that they have to get through as well now this would happen both within neverland and also out on tour and at one particular particular tour date in Paris Jackson taught the 10-year-old how to masturbate and the boy did it so many times that his penis would then swell up to the point that Jackson advised him to put it in a glass of warm water Jackson while also masturbating would also have safe chuck touch his nipples it felt like you were bonding said safe chuck in the documentary i wouldn't ejaculate but michael would He said I was his first sexual experience. So with that as well, you know, that's showing they're saying this is something they've shared together. That he's his first time. It's kind of been making that bond even stronger. He said that Jackson would have pornography on TVs everywhere within the residence and out on tour. Porn and candy. That's what he had all the time. It was pretty graphic heterosexual porn, oral sex, full penetration, anal stuff. It seemed like he liked it, so I wanted to like it too. I just didn't know how to deal with it. It was like him pulling back the curtain on this whole other universe, but this one wasn't so fun. 
Allegation number three, the fondling escalating to oral sex. It started with French kissing initially, but then he introduced me to the idea of kissing his genitals. One of the most disturbing moments in Leaving Neverland is when Robson remembers having an adult-sized penis in his seven-year-old mouth. Both of the boys also recalled bending over in front of Jackson as he masturbated so that he could look at their anuses. Robson specifically describes a scene where he would be on all fours at the edge of the master bed with Jackson behind him and a large cutout of Peter Pan in front of him. Yeah, so I mean with that as well, it's kind of, is has he placed the Peter Pan there on purpose so the boys can kind of, you know, see something nice when all this is going on? It's, yeah, it's all... Obviously, as I said, these are all allegations, but this is yeah, this is the accounts that the boys have given. Allegation number four, Jackson told the boys that he was meant to be with them. You and I were both brought together by God. We were meant to be together, and this is us showing each other that we love each other. Jackson would basically introduce them to various concepts and various acts, informing them that this is a way that you express love. Well, that's, to one another. Yeah, that's kind of in, not again not comparing I feel like I've said it every time not comparing him to the Wests but it was this is how a father and daughter interact and it's, it's kind of it's saying this is it's you know it's, it's, in a, it's in ages where people are developing these feelings and whatnot and they're essentially saying this, you know we love each other this is what we do with one another this is special when we mentioned hand holding it wasn't as innocent as it looked it's, it's alleged that Apparently, if there's a little code they have with one another, and if they scr- if they scratch the other one's palm, so it was to let each other know they were thinking of each other sexually. So it was kind of a little code they had, apparently. So that's another thing which, again, makes that innocent act of seeing you know, holding someone's hand. If that was the case, yeah, it makes it very dark. Allegation number five: As the boys aged, Jackson pushed them towards penetrative sex. It got more dirty, sexual than friends who were touching each other, says Safe Chuck. He wanted to do some anal, he put his finger inside me and I didn't like it at all, so he kind of backed off on that. I think I was just kind of wincing and I was asking him not to do it and he said, oh, you'll like it, but we continued with all the other stuff. The other boy said he went through similar violations when aged 14. He had a growth spurt and was nearly six feet tall. Michael tried to penetrate me in my anus with his penis, trying for a while, and I guess he was able to a bit, but it was really painful. Too painful for me, so he stopped. The day after, Jackson ordered me to find the pair of underwear I was wearing that particular night and throw it out because it had specks of blood in it, and almost certainly Jackson's DNA. Allegation number six, Jackson married Safe Chuck. So as I mentioned earlier, there was this uh, particular scene where he pulls out a ring and they were seen shopping for rings together. Safe Chuck would go on to say, we had this mock wedding ceremony. We did this in his bedroom. We filled out some vows and it was like we were bonded forever. It felt good and the ring was nice. It has a row of diamonds and a gold band. In the documentary, Safe Chuck is clearly trembling, showing off the ring and other jewellery that Jackson had bought him in return for sexual favours. We would go buy them at the jewellery stores and pretend like my small hands were fit for whatever female he was allegedly buying it for. This was something I enjoyed and was used against me, so I think it caused discomfort. It's still hard for me not to blame myself. The thing about the, these two, the thing, watching Leave Neverland, a lot of their stories did line up and certain particular sexual acts did line up. But then again, there has information has emerged before and previously, so it could quite easily influence one another's. Yeah, and they could have got together as well in the years building up to the, the film. Obviously, the Jackson estate tried to prevent the documentary from airing. I think they set out a $50 million or $100 million lawsuit. There's some weird agreement that a TV company basically... 
the TV company in order to kind of barter with using a live concert from Michael Jackson on their TV, on, on, on their channel, essentially said the agreement was you can use this if you don't put anything out against Michael Jackson in the future, like anything negative towards him. And then this came out on that channel. So then a big old court case happened because of that. Allegation number seven, Jackson wanted the boys to live at Neverland Ranch with him for a year. And he actually went as far as saying, will you leave the little one with me for a year? to the parents uh, who initially refused Jackson did go on to say I always get what I want she replied to him not this time I will share Wade with you but I am not going to leave him with you eventually though Joy took 7 year old Wade and his 10 year old sister Chantal and moved to Los Angeles as Tom mentioned uh, the marriage was on the, the rocks at the time there in the name of potentially furthering Wade's career as a dancer after they left Australia Wade's father Dennis Robson became increasingly unstable because of bipolar disorder and he eventually committed suicide. The father is an important one to note here. The father of Jordan Chandler, the boy who initially accused Jackson of molesting him in 1993, also committed suicide just months after Michael Jackson's death. Allegation number eight, Neverland Ranch was designed to hide abuse. So again, going back to kind of the hidden in plain sight element, who would suspect a guy with a theme park in his front garden? It's it's absolutely crazy. But apparently as you arrive there, you're kind of captivated by it. It's like going to Disneyland yep. for these children. One of the, the parents always used to say that um, Michael had a risky encounter in his private theatre in a particular viewing room in which Jackson had actually locked the door. And whenever the parents tried to enter the room, he always made different excuses like, I forgot I locked the door. He was there in bed and they were both naked. But I didn't think anything had happened. Allegation number nine, Robson and Safechuck say they were replaced by Macaulay Culkin and other kids. So 18th of December 2003, Jackson is formally charged with nine criminal counts, seven counts of child molestation and two for administering an intoxicating agent for the purpose of committing the felony. Jackson's lawyer makes a statement, anybody else who knows anything about the history of these accusers, anybody who knows anything about the history of the investigators and the acts they have to grind, know that these charges are not only categorically untrue, but they're driven, driven by two things, money and revenge. So the 28th of February 2005, Jackson's criminal case goes to trial in Santa Monica. The victim is identified as Gavin Arvizo, who is now aged 14. He takes the stand to substantiate the allegations of molestation, including that Jackson masturbated him and his brother, gave them alcohol which he called Jesus juice and showed them pornography. His brother also takes the stand corroborating the story. The prosecution also presented testimony from a former member of Jackson's household staff, Blanca Francia, who said that she had seen Jackson taking a shower with another victim, Wade Robson. They attempted to get Jordan Chandler to testify, but he reportedly fled the country. His mother, who he emancipated from years earlier, took the stand, testifying on Jordan's behalf, also claiming that Jackson had bribed her with gifts to let Jordan sleep in Jackson's bed. So with that, Jordan's, he's already got 15 million in the bank. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, I'm done. About this and emancipating from your mother obviously shows that the relationship there was very much fractured itself. I think the mother only got one and a half million, or only. Uh, she had one and a half million from the previous case, but she's, she's still, still gone back. Yeah. Uh, this was the very famous trial where it was, I think Sky News did like a live thing that the entire month or whatever it well, was. Well, it was a lot of celebrities involved, wasn't it? A lot of big names. But just on that, the defense's witnesses included Macaulay Culkin, Wade Robson, and George Lopez. 
Culkin called the allegations that he was molested by Jackson absolutely ridiculous, saying he'd never seen Jackson do anything improper with anybody. Culkin revealed that he'd slept in Jackson's bed more than a dozen times between the ages of 9 and 14. I've fallen asleep in the same bed with him, he said, adding that Jackson never at any point attempted to touch him in an inappropriate manner. Other young men who Jackson had befriended as children also testified for the defence. Actor George Lopez also testified, recalling how he himself had helped the Arvizo family with medical expenses but had cut them off after Gavin's father became aggressive. And when the father asked what to tell his son, Lopez responded, tell him his father's an extortionist. Supporting the defence's claim that the Arvizo family had just accused Jackson of abuse for money and in winning the criminal trial. So yeah, George Lopez apparently was contacted by the father because um, Gavin was suffering um, cancer at the time and, you know, making the plea of like, you know, any kind of money would be really helpful. And then like, yeah, he, he happily helped. So very convincing. But then the father carried on and being very aggressive with it. And yeah, so Lopez kind of smelled a rat there. This really does kind of put a dent in the whole Arvizo claim that they're closing up to a lot of celebrities and do whatever they can to twist it in order to get the money. And it wouldn't be surprising that they've seen previously what's happened with the other cases and thought this could be the big payday. And they had in their mind that they would be able to win the civil case against Jackson and extort him for millions. Jackson's defence also pointed out the inconsistencies throughout the Arvizo family's testimony and introduced evidence that Janet Arvizo, Gavin's mother, had committed welfare fraud and perjury and had a history of coaching her children to lie. That's a strange history to have. Yeah. Um, also, comedian Chris Tucker, who is in which Michael Jackson video? Oh, God, yeah, he is. You rock my world. No, you do. Yeah, he's in that. And then also he does a dance to another part of me in Rush Hour after he shoots a car full of explosives. I like Chris Tucker. There you go. Well, comedian Chris Tucker also spoke at the trial and said he felt sorry for the Arvizos himself and bought them gifts and given them money. He felt the Arvizos expected too much, calling him their brother and taking advantage of him. He testified that he had warned Jackson about the family, who, whom he called Cunning. There's a big history there, which immediately, for me, that's a lot of red flags in terms of what that, you know, they're just, they're just the kind of family they're trying to extort completely. Yeah. You know, we can't hand on heart say we know that his abuse claims are completely not there, but it does, you know, if you were in the jury, it would definitely make you question things. You know, it's the fact that after the documentary aired, timing-wise they've changed their tune very, very quickly. And all of a sudden, this history of abuse has appeared. So it's, yeah, it's hard to take. Although, again, they may be telling the truth. It's hard to tell. A large part of me thinks that they are lying. So a little bit of light relief about this horrendous uh, accusations. It was a very circus-like atmosphere at the trial, often upstaged by the actual proceedings. On one occasion, Jackson turned up late and in (laughs) pyjamas. Sorry, I'm late. I was at the time. Judge, can I have my Weetabix? Mm. Red milk. Damn. So the 14th of June, 2005, the jury deliberates for a total of 32 hours across seven days and acquits Jackson of all charges. Some of the jurors put this down to the unreliability of Janet Arvizo, also questioning how fit she was to be a mother. Imagine that. You got in there thinking you're going to get a payday and you go, <laughs> I came out with accusations. I'm an unfit mother. Take that to the bank. According to some post-case interviews, one female juror was convinced of Jackson's innocence as she asked, what mother in her right mind would allow that to happen? Jackson never returned to Neverland Ranch. He's just distanced himself from those bad memories. Again, 
devil's advocate. If he completely is 100% innocent of all these things, he must be. He probably is thinking a bit like, I've done all these things for children, all these things for charity, I've brought people to my home, I've, I've shown them all the love and care, and this is what I get through people trying to extort me. Or he's designed his home perfectly to attract children. As crazy as it sounds, that is, that's the argument. Are you going to rip your poster down when you get home? I'm not sure. I, I haven't. My Neverland or my Michael Jackson? <laughs> you, you Peter Pan one at the end of your bit. No. Um, hey. Within a month of the verdict, Janet Aviso was charged with fraud and perjury relating to the statements made in the Jackson trial, accepting a plea agreement the following year. So yeah, I mean, that has gone as badly as it could do. So it's important to say that during this time, a lot of times when the allegations came out, Jackson was taking a lot of prescribed medication, but you can see lots of videos of him and people allege whether he's drunk or he's, he's high on medication. But there's a Pepsi ad in 1984 featuring him and there's a backdrop of fireworks and one of the pyrotechnic devices misfired and shot a flaming projectile at Jackson. And due to being covered in stage makeup and hair products, his head where it was quickly engulfed in flames, which led to second degree burns all over his scalp. So we go on to take a lot of prescription painkillers and this would kind of come on later on with reoccurring issues later on with him getting addicted to these painkillers. And I think he would often medicate during times when, you know, under a lot of stress to help him sleep. And it was a lot. He, he kind of was taking a lot of this time. And uh, yeah, kind of between then the mid 2000s to kind of the back end of the 2000s, uh, he very much lives a sheltered life. He makes a couple of public appearances. He um, mainly made charity appearances, but he also attended the funeral of James Brown. He made a number of poor investments at this time, which meant that he had uh, got himself into some debt, believe it or not. And in March of 2009, amid speculation about his finances and poor health, Jackson announced a series of comeback concerts titled This Is It. He did this at a press conference at the O2 Arena in London. The shows were basically to be his first major concerts since the 1997 History World Tour. So it was a massive, massive deal at the but, time. But it was a kind of comeback, but it was a comeback to end it. Yes, it was. Yeah, this. Yeah, he was basically making. He'd made a decision that I need this much money to pay off this much debt and also live the rest of my life financially secure. This is it. This is it. This is my payday. Jackson suggested that he would retire after the shows, and the initial plan was for ten shows in London, followed by a couple of shows in Paris, New York City, and Mumbai. That really surprised you. Yeah, I was um, surprised. Your parents didn't have tickets to this. They did. Yeah, my I was going to save it for some light, light relief, but um, talking how light it is. Well, this is the thing. They so yeah. So initially, this was the plan. However, they predicted that from those, I think it was fifteen shows in, or sixteen shows in total, he'd make fifty million dollars. However, because tickets sold so quickly, he decided to increase it to fifty dates in London. Well, it's gone from this is it to this. This, this might... is it! <laughs> bit, bit intimidated now. My mum and dad, very big Michael Jackson fans, always have been. My dad purchased, managed to get, a, I think he got tickets before, annoyingly for him, when it was just 15 shows, he managed to get mm. tickets for him and, and my mum for her birthday, so he was in the good books. Michael Jackson then would go on to pass away, which we'll talk about. My dad was then offered either a full cash refund or a commemorative holographic ticket. And I asked him today which one he took, and he said, I took the f money, you idiot. <laughs> Love that from Kev. On the 25th of June 2009, less than three weeks before his first This Is It shows were scheduled to begin in London with all concerts sold out, Michael Jackson passed away from alleged, I should say alleged, cardiac arrest. Conrad Murray, 
who was uh, his personal doctor and at the centre of, I guess you could call it a scandal or a lot of additional allegations, had given Michael Jackson various medications to help him sleep at his rented mansion in Holmby Hills, Los Angeles. Paramedics received a 911 call at 12.22 and arrived three minutes later. At that current time, Jackson was not breathing and CPR was performed. Resuscitation efforts continued as they moved Michael Jackson to Ronald Reagan Medical Center and more than an hour after arriving there, Jackson was pronounced dead. Now there's a list of different drugs that he were found in his system. It's an extensive list here. So Jackson was administered propofol, lorazepam and midazolam and his death was caused by a propofol overdose. News of his death quickly spread online with many websites actually being caused to crash. A lot of websites, because this has happened multiple times, as well believed it to be a hoax. His health was in kind of mixed conditions over the last decade. It included uh, actually crashing Google, AOL Instant Messenger, Wikipedia and Twitter. Yeah, there was a lot of controversy around uh, Conrad Murray and, and his response to obviously finding Jackson unresponsive. He also is alleged to have performed a non-standard CPR technique on Jackson. He'd been trying to revive him for five minutes before he decided to call 911, which is a, a lot of time. Murray said that he had placed one hand underneath Jackson and used the other hand for chest compression, which just seems like for a doctor... That's odd, yeah. Bizarre practice. Murray's attorney stated that Jackson had a pulse when he was taken out of the house and put in the ambulance. However, a lot of people have stated that he was completely unresponsive. That's quite an easy thing for the ambulance team to say. Exactly, yeah. So it obviously went to trial and it was basically the state of California versus Murray. It went to trial and on November 7th, 2011, the 24th day of the trial, Conrad Murray was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter and he was sentenced to the maximum penalty of four years of incarceration. Uh, And according to uh, the county sheriff officials, Murray was expected to serve less than two years. He was released on October the 28th of 2013, two years ahead of schedule as predicted, due to California prison being overcrowded and also reports of his good behaviour. At the time of his release, he refused to provide any kind of statement or testify, and there was also a follow-up lawsuit against him filed by Michael Jackson's mother uh, for wrongful death. Uh, and again, that didn't take it, that didn't move further any forward. Apparently, Murray's medical licenses remain suspended or revoked in only three states where he previously worked. And between 2013 and 2014, Wade Robson and James Safechuck filed suits against the Jackson estate after publicly defending Jackson, now claiming that he had abused the boys in their childhoods years. So these are the boys, obviously, from uh, Leaving Neverland. In 2015, a Los Angeles County Superior Court judge dismisses Robson's suit, saying he waited too long to make his claim. In 2017, the same judge dismisses Safechuck's suit on the same grounds, also noting that the corporations he filed the suits against MJJ Productions and MJJ Ventures could not be held liable for Jackson's alleged behaviour. However, none of the judgments directly address the credibility of the accusations. So they're not technically saying, you know, what you're saying isn't true, they're just saying it's been too long and that people can't be held responsible for things that Michael Jackson done since he's passed away. In an appearance on the Today Show, Robson said, This is not a case of repressed memory. I have never forgotten one moment of what Michael did to me, but I was psychologically and emotionally completely unable and unwilling to understand that 
that it was sexual abuse. Michael was, yes, an incredibly talented artist with an incredible gift, and he was also a paedophile and a child sex abuser. He also said his perspective changed after becoming a father on how someone could treat a child in that way, as well as stating that he was only five years old when he met Michael and was abused by him between ages 7 and 14. That's the tricky thing, to again compare it, unfortunately, to the Jimmy Savile case. A lot of that did come out after he'd passed away and it was because people were living in fear yeah. they didn't feel that they'd be taken seriously and there were multiple examples of the Savile inquiry failing and not taking people's concerns seriously whereas with Michael Jackson there was although there had been some accusations while he was living a lot of the heavier accusations did come out after he had passed away I guess it's kind of like well, I mean as a thing he was actually taken to court before and um, people were actually kind of calling him out for these things whilst he was alive still which yeah we didn't really know well we know they didn't get that far obviously with, with this Apple case Safe Chuck's original complaint against MJJ companies claimed that the companies were part of a child sexual abuse operation stating that MJJ Productions and MJJ Ventures were held out to the public to be businesses dedicated to creating and distributing multimedia entertainment by Michael Jackson however in fact they actually served dual purposes Robson's attorney Vince Finaldi said in the complaint the thinly veiled covert second purpose of these businesses was to operate a child sexual abuse operation specifically designed to locate, attract, lure and seduce child sexual abuse victims. Two days after he submitted the complaint, he amended it to enabling child sexual abuse. So again, they're saying that there was a wider network again similar to the, the Savile situation but again it's the, it's the timing of it all and the fact that again this was around the time that uh, his, his will and his estate was being kind of heavily legally battled over mm. and there's a lot of money up for grabs and his estate is still making a lot of money I believe to this day but that is the end of the timeline um, we're going to get to a little bit of aftermath now so there is so much to this case as Ben said earlier on this could easily be a you know four-parter Basically, a lot of the defence was saying that there was plant fingerprint evidence against Jackson, allowing accuser Gavin Arviso to handle adult magazines during the grand jury hearings. So basically, yeah, giving him the actual evidence and getting him to hold it during the things, yeah. and, send, and then sending them away for fingerprint analysis. So we said before, with uh, Michael Jackson fans, you know, it could be fairly militant and very passionate. And there's a number of London buses emerged covered in posters protesting his innocence, quoting Jackson's nephew Taj. And the ad read, "Facts don't lie, people do." alongside an image of Jackson's face. So on the victims, there's something, some information out there which kind of makes you again question everything. Gavin Aviso apparently had Michael Jackson's music playing at his wedding, which, you know, if he's been abused, you would not imagine that would be the case. On doing some research for this and listening to other podcasts and watching documentaries, there was a lot about the FBI files on this. And if you search it, you can go online. A lot of things have been redacted, a lot of names taken out. But there was reports about the FBI raiding the house and finding lots and lots of pornography there. Briefcases full, apparently. Um, but it was it was no there was nothing within it that would incriminate him. There were some books which basically had certain stories in them, and it seemed to have the faces of children reimagined on the on on, on um, adults' bodies, which apparently at that time wouldn't be considered child porn. But apparently now it would be considered child porn. Right. One thing that I heard as well, which is a lot of celebrities obviously got involved in this. Barbara Streisand with a very weird take. She said his sexual needs were his sexual needs. Coming from whatever childhood he has or whatever DNA he has. You can say molested, but those children, as you heard them, they were thrilled to be there. They both married and they both have children, so it didn't kill them. Jesus. Basically saying, giving Michael Jackson a free pass because that's what he liked. Yeah, saying because they've turned out with families now, therefore, what's, what's wrong with it? If even the 
are saying inverted commas, normal behaviour, if, if even the sleepovers were happening with anybody else in the world at that time, it wouldn't have been tolerated. I don't know, it's, it's difficult in the time we live now because of things like this and because of how on it everyone is. There's lots of, of, of allegations of, of actors, male actors dating underage people and it kind of people turning a blind eye in Hollywood. So, yeah, it's, it's very hard to say, isn't it? Well, that's it. But I mean, he he was consistently getting away with having young boys and young girls over at Neverland. Uh, time after time, he had built up an empire. His music catalogue was, there was, you know, no one else like, he was a superstar. If it was just any other guy in the street having sleepovers with kids from oh, yeah, that street, yeah. it, that's it. It doesn't get tolerated. But he has some sort of magical way. That maybe it's the charm. Maybe it's the power. Maybe it's... He kind of seems mythical. Yeah, he's some, he doesn't quite seem human, does he? He doesn't seem of this world. As I said, there's obviously endless things we go into this. It could be a four or five part. We haven't mentioned the fact he tried to buy the elephant man's bones. We didn't mention his elaborate shopping spree and the Martin Bashir thing where he was just buying golden tombs, bubbles. I want that one. Very brief, very brief mention for bubbles. And yeah, there's there's a lot more we could go into, but we felt we brought up the things that we thought were important. Obviously, he was never convicted, and he never will be now. Um, it, as as the judge said, it's, it's they're not going to hold his estate responsible. It's worth mentioning as well. Michael Jackson did do a lot of charitable things, donating staggering amounts of money to charity. And I know he since he, he's passed on, he has in in his will to keep donating money to charity and his own charities and whatnot. But yeah, we wanted to kind of just go into these allegations a bit more in depth, kind of look at where they come from, and kind of look at the backstories, the families as well, in terms of you know what was their motivation for them if it is if it wasn't true so that was the case of michael jackson the allegations of an icon yeah lots to kind of unpack there we're trying to obviously play set the pot a bit but also trying you know not be too lean in one way yeah it's hard to do when you're talking about all the accusations against him but i think we've kind of painted the picture in terms of showing perhaps where those allegations came from definitely definitely and we appreciate it's a slightly different episode uh, given our usual subject matter but it has been one that we've wanted to talk about and discuss on the podcast for a very very long time so we, we do hope uh, you know you reached your own conclusion and that you enjoyed the episode producer dan where do you stand what's your verdict um i mean i guess like most i i, I think his his gift and his talent was untouchable it was on another level for me um, but was he? But unfortunately, untouchable. that untouchable nature and attitude uh, traversed into his sexual fantasies and his day-to-day uh, -day life. Because I watched this documentary, or the couple of documentaries before, with people who were big Michael Jackson fans, and they were kind of dismissing everything. And I was just, I think, just to be annoying, was very much saying the opposite, going, "What you're on about? He's definitely." But then, then I kind of, you know, for this, I knew obviously a lot. Of the, I'm not going to just be snarky for no reason I'm going to look at all the kind of evidence so I went into it I watched a few things and I was like actually you know what the childlike thing makes a lot of sense but then looking at things like the pornography and things like that and the other certain little details you do think it's not as innocent as uh, you once expected obviously yeah he was you can't compare his fame it, it was he was a superstar um, but yeah it does seem to be this uh, I do feel that there's something well I don't think an adult man should be sharing a bed with young children um, and even if it is just sharing a bed, I feel that I feel uneasy about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I'm the I'm the same as you. I think obviously coming into this as a, a, a someone that was raised with Michael Jackson music in in the house, I'm a big big fan. It was hard. The more research I did, the more 
I swayed away from, okay, I can't really, I can't defend that. I can't find reason with that. And that was really hard. But also just the repeat behavior and that repeat, to use the word Daniel, is untouchable. He's, he's kind of felt that he's beyond consequence. Although there's no concrete evidence out there, which, again, you have to respect that. There's enough allegations out there that kind of line up with other allegations, which, again, they could get together. And just no smoke without fire is the yes. expression. There's obviously some smoke here, and it might not be as raging fire as everyone thinks in terms of him being guilty, but there's a little fire, at least somewhere in there, which we're unsure about. Do you boys still uh, listen to his music actively? Not actively, but I wouldn't skip a track if it came on. I, the other day, listened to Black or White. Um, but I, uh, I requested that on Spotify. See, this is the difficult thing, because I quite often listen to him. So what, what does that make me? It makes you worse than him. I didn't do a lookalike because yeah, no one same. looks like Michael Jackson and it felt inappropriate. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, even though we've done <laughs> vampires and, you know, people stick needles in their clutch, but um, there's no, no one quite looks like Michael Jackson no. apart from Michael Jackson. There you go. As, as we mentioned, he'd been, he's been spoofed in multiple. I mean, even before this came out, he was quite an easy target in terms of being able to kind of poke fun at his image or his, his quirkiness. A Michael Jackson character has made several appearances in the TV series South Park. He also uh, appears as a, an evil villain in a video game which looks terrifying. It's called Escape the Ayawuki. Ayawuki is a made-up beast from the Are You Okay? Escape the Ayawuki. You're walking around a mansion at night. I think they're trying to make it like kind of Neverlandy. Mm. There's a guy that will only detect you based on the... You're supposed to play it with headphones. Mm. And if you scream or you shout, it will come towards you based on the vo- noise oh, you're wow. making. So some people just play it and muted their Are mic. Are you okay? Are you okay? Well, haunting. That does sound haunting. Um, yep, yeah, well, that was a, a deep dive, I'd say. I want to say a huge thank you once again for of all your support this series it's very much appreciated I want to say a huge shout out to Phil Whitten for all the amazing animations this series a huge shout out to Daniel St. Romain for all the hard research this series very much appreciated Ben Bonsi for the amazing editing skills Boston Sound for the amazing producer that is produced Dan Lambert thank you Danny for all your hard work you're very welcome well done boys good work Ben Carter for all your great smells and sounds <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> And obviously a big shout out to Ben Carter, the man who sits beside me for these 12 episodes. It's been a journey, 12 episodes, but we will be back and we'll be back full of beans. Absolutely, absolutely. Hopefully not too many beans. Well, nah, not too many beans. Um, Yeah, it's been an absolute... Silent but deadly. (laughs) Yeah, it's been an absolute... uh, privilege and a pleasure uh, this series and we're looking forward to series five already as we said at the start of the episode we're still going to be uploading weekly episodes to our patreon page which is patreon.com forward slash could murder a pod you can get your audio ones there your visual ones there you can get them all there you also get a little uh, discount on the store and there are lots of new exciting things coming so yes uh, there'll be new things on the store icmap.store and we'll also be posting about them on our socials at could murder a pod and also we've got a great facebook community i keep saying it but the community over there they just they love a chat and we love a chat as well so don't forget to like us over there and um, we will be putting new things up on Patreon new series and we're very excited to show you that and none of you have thanked me I said it huh we can finish you haven't thanked me Dan sorry I thanked you and Ben I thanked all of our lovely crew and none of you have thanked me what are you talking about what do you want I'm talking about I'm really confused you've lost me mate yeah what's he on can we just finish the app? It's been going on for hours. You guys. You can, bring, you can bring a horse to water, but the horse can still be a prick. Thank you, Tom! 
it's, don't, don't. That's I'm going to blush. <laughs> I'm going to blush. Thanks, Tom. Uh, that's all right, mate. Dan said it now. And obviously a big thank you to Emily Bakes for this lovely cake, which we can actually now eat, which is... Yeah. I've already eaten some of it. It's going. We can't wait to come back with Series 5. We're going to go bigger and better. And we, uh, we are very much looking forward to that. And we will obviously will let you know when we know when we're coming back. Best thing to do, guys, if you want to know when we're coming back for Series 5, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter. Follow um, us around the street. Just keep shouting at us. Yeah. When are you coming back? There you go. That tends to work, so... Why not try it? Yeah. And guys, for the final time of the series, like we have always said throughout this series, keep doing. No. (laughs) And for the final time of the series, guys, something we always say. We say this all the time. Keep doing what you're doing. Unless. Oh. (laughs) Exactly that. Shamo, everybody. <laughs> Until Shamo. next time. Until series five. Keep shamoing, and we'll shamo you soon. See you guys. <laughs> you have been listening to I Could Murder a Podcast, written and presented by Tom Norris and Ben Carter. Additional research and timelines written by Danielle St. Romain. Produced and mixed by Dan Lambert of Boston Sound. Artwork and animation by Phil Whitten. Theme song by Alfie Indra. If you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Just search at Pod. For additional and exclusive content, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Pod. And don't forget to tell all of your friends. I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.